What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Just Friends. As always, I'm your host, Mitchell Embry, and as always, I'm very excited about our guest this week. I met him in person playing football for PRP when we were in high school, but I kind of met him like five years earlier on the news because Ethan played for the 2002 Valley Sports Little League All-Star team that won the World Series against the Sendai Higashi Little League team from Japan. He was on national news, which makes him like the closest thing to a celebrity we've had on the podcast thus far. For real though, Ethan was a really fun guest. It was fun to talk to him. You know, I told him coming in, you know, we probably have really different opinions from one another. And he agreed with me. Um, And then he agreed to come on my podcast and have a conversation with me, which was really cool of him. And I really appreciated it. And uh, it turned out, you know, like there were things that he and I didn't see eye to eye on. But for the most part, man, we got along great. It was really fun. I had a lot of fun talking to him. I learned a lot of cool stuff. And I'm really excited for everybody to get the chance to check out this podcast. So without further ado, I'm excited to introduce to you my friend and yours, Mr. Ethan Henry. So let's, I mean, let's, what, what should I call you? Should I call you Ethan? <laughs> yeah, you can call me Ethan. This is actually my first time being on a podcast and I actually have never even heard your podcast yet. I've been meaning to, to listen to it, it. Uh, but uh, I never got around to it. I'm, you know me, I'm always into something, doing something crazy. So yeah, that's, what's great about podcasts is also there's a million of them and there's so many good ones. Well, you know, I just started that YouTube channel and I've got like, you know, three videos up and it's, you know. I, I haven't grown a, like a base yet, but it, I mean, it feel, I feel like it's starting to grow. I just, you know, got to figure out and work all the fine tuning of, you know, camera work and audio and all that stuff, which I'm an amateur at. Yeah. So. I'm happy to talk to you about that after the show. So Ethan, it's a, a privilege to have you on the show. I'm so glad that you made the 45 minute drive out this way <laughs> to do this. Um, usually what we do is we're going to start with your past. So you've lived in the South End or you lived in Louisville your entire life, right? Uh, for the most part. Right. Um, I grew up in Louisville Valley station to be exact, right, uh, right behind Prey Village elementary school. So, uh, was it stone street? Yeah. I actually went to elementary school there and then trans- transferred over to Stewart for middle school. And then from there I went to Pleasure Ridge park and that's where right. me and you met. Yeah. We met in high school cause we played football together. You played football. Mm-hmm. I practiced football with you mm-hmm. on days, which was good for me too. I appreciated it. <laughs> um, but you had a really unique experience when you were younger. I guess it probably started in like, was it middle school? Uh, you're talking about Valley Sports? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was middle school. I, I imagine think it I was, started way earlier than that though, right? No, I think I actually was just getting out of sixth grade that summer, going into seventh grade. Yeah, but that didn't baseball, I mean, I'm sure baseball at that point had started oh, yeah. way before that. Yeah, sports started, you know, way before, I guess, um, I played sports of all sorts, basketball, soccer, baseball. The only thing I didn't play was T-ball, and I would jump straight into machine pitch as a kid, and, you know, I guess everybody was like, oh, you know, he's got some athletic ability, and... What's that like? <laughs> I bet I, it's pretty cool, right? Uh, I mean, it's nice, but I mean, honestly, it's it's not the world. I mean, I've grown out of it and, and found out there's a lot of, you know, bigger things in life to worry about, so... Well, of course, yeah. But I, I had a, I had a ton of fun, and I, and I do feel like sports, you know, are one hundred percent can shape you, depending on, you know, uh, what kind of coaching you have. But it, it teaches you things that that you can use in the real world. Yeah, and I think for you, you you kind of touched on it a little bit already, but you had a unique experience with sports as a kid. 
because you got you had the privilege of being a part of a team that ended up like rising to like the pinnacle of what was capable of being achieved by uh, like a little league team at that time, right? What yeah. was that like? <laughs> well, at the time, like I, I didn't know what was happening. You know, I was just going out there playing my game, and the next thing you know, I'm just like, "Why is there cameras and you know tons of people out here when you're usually just used to you know maybe a handful of parents and you know maybe 20 people on your team you know that are you know cheering you on and 20 people on the other team on their bleachers cheering them on and and uh and then like i said but as you're playing and you get up into the regionals and the in the semifinals for state and stuff like that things start getting crazy and uh-huh. you know, even the parents get crazy uh, out there <laughs> cheering their kids on like i mean i'm serious like when parents get into it they get into it so oh yeah so but what's the mindset like as even mm-hmm. like a tiny little kid having the focus to become like elite at something i mean on on the level at which you're competing like i'm sure you have to have like hyper focus like what was that like well i can tell you from the start of the all-star team that that came together um, and i met the coach for the first time i actually got chewed out um, his name was Dan Roach, and he was the coach of our team. I don't know if, like, there, you might find it, you know, where he was, an, you know, ex-Marine drill sergeant. And, I mean, just, he was no bigger than maybe five foot two, five foot three. I mean, he was taller than, like, you know, just a hair taller than uh, some of the 12-year-olds on the team, you know, like me and myself. I think I was just an inch shorter, and he was <laughs> as a 12-year-old, 12-year-old. But, I mean, like, he would just get in my face and, like, treat me as if I'm, like, a grown man. And, and like, when I – look back on it i was like you know i was scared to death like staring at this guy face to face you know nose to nose like he would have no problem getting in your face and uh it scared me to death but now that i look back on it i'm like man that guy did so much in my life that i had um like no idea until you know i got older you know what kind of influence he had on my life but um at the time i think i was just so focused on winning and you know playing what I was trained to do, like, and that was to, to be the best and win and, but also have a good time at it. Um, that like, I, I guess I kind of zoned out, I should uh-huh. say of like what was really happening, you know, like in the moment. And like, I remember like the last hit of the world series when we were playing Japan and Casey Jordan on first base caught the last out, you know, line drive hit to first base. Like, I just remember sitting there behind home plate, like, did that just happen? Did we just win the World Series? And I and I feel like I can't grasp, like, what's happening. Uh-huh. Like, that's what I felt. And it was such an odd experience because, like, I feel like, you know, I should have been, like, super excited, but I was just, like, just thinking in my mind, is is this over? Uh-huh. Like, is is it really over? Uh-huh. And I and I couldn't, I couldn't grasp that in my mind. Yeah, and you're a kid. Yeah. So like, you know, the gravity of everything that had just been accomplished was probably completely lost to you. Like, yeah, I mean, like I was I remember the most important thing was is actually like that hit me emotionally at the end of the World Series was actually seeing the Japan team like all of them were like bawling their eyes out. Mm-hmm. And it like and that just like I mean, it emotionally hit me and rocked my world, too. You know, a level of respect. Uh, that you had Yeah. To- I mean, like because. And it, it was so weird because of out of all the teams in the World Series, the only team that we actually got along with was Japan. Yeah. And it was real weird, too, how it, like, came about because all the commercials and so forth um, in the World Series that year showed Japan and Great Lakes being in the championship game before, like, before, like, the teams were even picked, you know, or, you know, chosen to, or actually won and, and actually made it to the final game, like, 
they were playing commercials of Great Lakes in Japan. So it was, it was like a lot of weird things that happened leading up to the the final moments there. Man, that's so cool. It's so interesting that you have an experience like that. And did you, what was it like afterward? Because I imagine then now there's something <laughs> totally different that starts to take place where like you're not super focused on baseball anymore mm-hmm. and you're having all these weird experiences with like media and stuff like that. Um, so, uh, you know, come home and like the first thing I want to do is like, man, I just, I just want to be a kid. I felt like I didn't get to be a kid all summer long. You know, I was practicing <laughs> eight, 10 hour days. Yeah. You know, like that's what I did all summer, like every single day. Like I, we didn't have a day off the entire time for like that three month period there. Like as a kid, I mean, every day I was out practicing, hitting, you know, working on my game. And, and then finally, like I, it's over and I come home and I'm like, what do I do? Like, I just, I just want to be a kid. You know, yeah, I want to be a 12 year old kid. That's and, it. And you're not a normal 12 year old kid because how many 12 year old kids understand what it takes to be the best of the best at something like that? Like you just described the process, right, 10 yeah. hour days. Yeah. Like hyper focus on. You have to be dedicated. Yeah. 100% like to what you want to accomplish. And if you are not, you're not going to make it. So Coach Roach and, and uh, all the other coaches, you know, they got us all into a mindset of, you know, hey, you guys are really good. We're going to shape you to be the best because we expect, you know, you to be the best. We know you're the best. So, like, that's how it came about. I mean, it wasn't easy a lot of times. Like, there was times where I was just like, you know, I just want to be done. I just want to be done. Like, even though we were winning, I think, like, I just got out of the district finals there for the, you know, playing in the district here of Kentucky or Louisville, whatever. And uh, I just remember going into state, I was just like, man, I'm just burnt out. I'm just burnt out. Like I've been practicing straight for, you know, a month and, you know, eight, 10 hour days, like just going at it all day long. That's all I can do. Like, I mean, I come home and just be so tired, you know, from being out in the summer heat all day, sweating to death, getting yelled at. And then it's just like, I've just crash. And it's like, there's no time for video games. There's no time for going out to, you know, play basketball down the street. There's no time to ride bikes. Um, Coach Roach wouldn't even let us swim as 12-year-olds. He's like, you're not swimming. <laughs> and he's like, there's nothing you're not doing. You're not th- uh, throwing tennis balls. He's like, if you throw a tennis ball and, you know, that lightweight, throwing a lightweight, you know, object a lot can actually damage, you know, your arm. So he was like, none of that. So, like, there goes wiffle ball. <laughs> and uh, and on top of that, like, did I say no swimming? Yeah. Yeah, no swimming. In the so, summertime. In the summer as a kid, no swimming. Man. So that's kind of what I, I, I was dealing with, but I was also see the big picture of it of like, you know, what he wanted us to accomplish to show that what you can accomplish, you know, it, you're able to do so. Yeah. And you touched on two things there. I want to talk about both of them. But the first thing I want to talk about is like what you just said, like being like you had to make sacrifices in order to reach this level um, of achievement. How has that impacted your character now? Like, do you feel like that is something that's stuck with you and has helped you be successful now? You're talking about like just in the aspect of what happened in the World Series? Or? Well, just you know what it takes to be great at something because you've done it one time. And, nah. and No, really? <laughs> I, I wouldn't say I, I'm great. And I don't like I don't want to. Like, For a just... moment, you were great. And you're, you as a team, you guys yeah, accomplished I mean, something um, great. I don't know if I've ever done something that I could say like me and this group of people or even myself have accomplished everybody in the world great yeah Yeah. um it's it's so hard to say because like all i can remember in the moment was just like you know man we we went through a lot yeah to accomplish this and the moment was 
it was almost like it was bittersweet, but like more sweet than bitter. Uh, and the reason I say it is because like the bitter part of it was, you know, enduring the, the long, the long days of practice. And, um, but the sweetness of it was, you know, Hey, we were the best in the world at one time, at, you know, at our game of little league baseball. And we had the best pitchers, the best hitters, you know, we beat everybody. Nobody could keep up with us. Um, which is really odd to me that that happened in Valley station, you know, like Valley station and, and, uh, you know, just, to, and on top of that too, this is something a lot of people don't know is that the kids on the all-star team were actually chosen by the kids. Oh, really? Like, the, yeah, there was no adults involved. That's until. awesome. So we voted on all the players to be on the team mm-hmm. and the team that we got was the team that all the kids, 12 year olds selected that year yeah. to be on the team. So that's really cool. So you were selected as like from, from amongst your peers. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah. You get selected amongst your players, yeah. peers that you played with. So then afterwards though, like you're kind of in the limelight. Did that suck? Was it cool? <laughs> How did it feel? Well, like I said, I came home and I wanted to just be a kid, but I came home and next thing you know, I got the news media, you know, knocking on my door. Mm-hmm. Hey, we want to do, you know, a quick interview with you. And it's just like, guys, like, I, like, yeah, I won the World Series. I understand. But like, I just want to be a, a kid. Like, I haven't really got to spend a lot of time with my family or talk to my parents or, you know, see my other family because I've been doing this for three months. Like, that's all I want to do is, is that and maybe go fishing. Just take a little time to relax. And then, like, uh, not too long, you know, during that fall, coming back from the summer, we won. Like, we had a little bit of a down period. And uh, I think I jumped right into playing, like, AAU ball. Mm-hmm. And, man, like, I couldn't even go play AAU ball with, like, other, um, you know, people getting word of mouth that uh, – or, like, you know, news medias were coming out there and, like, watch me play, want me like, interview me, like, filming me bat and catch and do all this stuff. And I was just like, guys, like <laughs> – I don't know what to tell you, like, but I just like being in the, being in the light, like wasn't really my thing. And I think that's where maybe that comes out today where I just like, don't like to be in the light of everything. I can appreciate that. And in fact, you know, like I'm going to read a quote, uh, we, this doesn't have to make it in the podcast if it doesn't want to, but it's just, I imagine this coming out in the news when you're a 12 year old kid Mm -hmm. would not be the most fun. And it said, uh, I found this little tidbit on Wave 3 News website. Catcher yeah. Ethan E. Henry stole the hearts of all the 12-year-old girls. My mom got mad at that, he recalls. <laughs> we had girls calling us at 3 o'clock in the morning. That was a true statement. Yeah. yeah they, like, <laughs> I would have girls, you know, like, girls would just be friendly. Be like, hey, you know, what's your phone number? And, you know, back in the day, we didn't have cell phones. Right. You know, you had to call the home phone. <laughs> so, dude, I would have girls call me left and right uh, in the middle of the night. And my mom was like... Like she would like answer. I don't know. Like I would try to like, I feel like I would, I would know they would call. Mm-hmm. So I'd have like the cordless phone, like sitting next to my bed, like in the middle of the night, I'd sneak out. And go, yeah. And like, as soon as it would ring, just like one little millisecond, I'd answer it. <laughs> but dude, my mom caught me every time. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. So I couldn't get away with it. Well, at least, you know, it was happening. I, That's another thing that I can't really relate with was having girls like one to talk, like, you want to talk to me? Hold on a second. Let me talk to my friends. She wants to talk to me. <laughs> Man, it's uh, it's honestly, it's a blessing and a curse. Yeah, like I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, well, you know, I it ended up okay for me. I'm married. You met my wife, Sarah. She's pretty cool. Yeah, I like her quite a bit. So oh, it worked good. out okay. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I like her quite a bit. Well, I hope so. Yeah, I mean, I married her, you know. But now you touched on something earlier, like so. After all of that, you were trying to play AAU ball, but mm-hmm. for a, for a big part, um, you felt like you were burnt out. 
Yeah, I, I felt like I was. I mean, I, that year that I won the World Series, I, I believe I played on like three baseball teams at once. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was AAU ball. I played at Prey Village and I played at Valley Sports. So, I mean, there was like a, a minute there where I would like play one game as a little leaguer and then like finish that game and then go immediately to Valley Sports and play another game, mm-hmm. you know? So, like, there was no problem for me to play 12 innings a night. Yeah, easy, goodness. You know? you know my buddy Chad Heiner? Yeah, I know Chad yeah, Heiner. Yeah, he was kind of, he's been on the podcast. Oh, nice. Yeah, uh, he, he kind of was in, invested in that same kind of system. And I used to go to games and watch him play and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And he'd play multiple games a day. Mm-hmm. And it was like a big, big part of his summer. Yeah. So, yeah. I can totally um, relate to that. But he chose to play baseball in high school. And you didn't. Was mm-hmm. was that a conscious decision that you made? It was. Um, to me, like, as I grew older and I love the game of baseball I really did but there was something that always like kind of was in the back of my mind and that was like I more had like a headstrong aggressive nature in my personality like I don't know if you found that out playing or watching me play football but it was a little bit obvious I was more of a contact sport you know type of person yeah like I was you know into that type of thing like so it I ended up going with Football, and I love the game of football. Like, I thought it was just a, like a sport of like, you know, gladiators out mm-hmm. there duking it out on the field. And that's, that's what I was into. Yeah. Like, that's, you know, that's what I was feeling at the time. I think it's fair to say you thrived in it. You were, you, uh, you were decent at that sport. Yeah. I, I felt like I was pretty good, but, um, you know, I maybe was lacking a little bit on height to mm-hmm. go anywhere, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, that's okay. No, yeah. not hating about it. No, I mean, you played. Yeah. Bro, I never even did that. I went to practice every single day, every single day. I mean, I didn't really. You're the true MVP here, nah, man. I didn't really work all that hard at practice. That's a big part of the reason why I didn't play. Really? <laughs> really? Like, you're, like, are you, like, being for real about that? Like, you didn't work hard? I mean, I worked hard, but not, not in such a way that I would get better from it. Like, I was working hard almost out of, like, because uh, I was being told I had to. Yeah. Not because I was actively seeking improvement. I didn't know mm-hmm. what that was. I'd never done that. I started playing football when I was a sophomore in high school. First sport I'd ever really? been involved in at I all. I know that. And I did it because that's something I wrote down here. I think football for us was probably two very different things because I did it because I wanted to make friends. Oh, did you? And I was like, I like Jake Stratton. I yeah. like Chris Berry. Mm-hmm. I like those dudes. Yeah. So that, was your, gonna, that was your posse. I, I was just going to do that. Yeah. And I was going to be doing the thing that they were doing. And- I was fucking tripping over my feet the whole way trying to figure it out. <laughs> hey, man, it's okay. I mean, like, it, it doesn't matter, you know? Like, if you started late in life or you started early, I mean, obviously, maybe the kids that started early may have a lot more of an advantage than you. But the thing is, you know, um, you know, like, if you did what you wanted to accomplish out of it, like, you know, kudos. Yeah, I made friends. I still hang out with those guys yeah. today. You it worked out saying? perfectly for me, yeah. So, you can't be mad about it. Yeah. But you said it didn't take you anywhere, but didn't you decide to play a little bit of football in college? I did play football in college. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I went to Thomas, Thomas Moore. Moore. Yeah. I did. Yeah. And uh, that was a super successful team. We were conference champions. Nice. Like, I think we were ranked at like number four in the nation for D3. Wow. Yeah. Like, we were good. That's pretty and, awesome. And on, on top of that, like the years after I left Thomas Moore, um, they just – uh, I think they continued like that streak of being like top five in the nation. I mean, they were good. Really? Yeah, man. The coaches over there were awesome. That's I, what I was going to ask. Was they the coaches, were, dude, they were good. Mm-hmm. Like the, I could, I, man, the head coach. I I forgot his name. I couldn't bring it up right now if I wanted to. I mean, it's been years ago, but I mean, it's back in two thousand nine. I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's over. 
it's oh my gosh, it is, dude. It's like 12 <laughs> yeah. years ago. Yeah, so um, the head coach was awesome, man. Their offensive coordinator was just a boss, dude. He's got, he had so much stuff up his sleeve. Yeah. That like nobody could figure out what was going on, you know. Nobody could ever pattern us. And on top of that, too, like we had like literally some of the best like running backs you could find. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where they came from. I mean, <laughs> what, I know one came from, uh, I think Seneca. Oh, really? Yeah, man. I'm, I'm just telling you, like, dude, we were a boss. Yeah. Like, uh, and I played fullback in college. So I was no longer like linebacker. You know That's how cool. I don't, do you remember when Coach Wolf like threw me in at fullback? Yeah. Like, I remember that. My senior year. Yeah. What do they call that? Tough or big or something like that? Yeah. Uh, yeah something like that. Yeah. Um, but, I was like, you know, maybe I was kind of meant for offense, but like I said, I felt like maybe I started a little late in my journey, mm-hmm. you know, for doing that. But, you know, I jumped straight into college and they were like, you're fullback. Yeah. And I was <laughs> like, well, what's that mean? <laughs> so basically, <laughs> basically they just threw me in there. Like anytime they need to ISO on a linebacker, you know, protect the quarterback type of gotcha. thing. Like that's all I was used for. And then I was uh, thrown on like every special team. Yeah. Still like, the blocking is yeah. important. Yeah. Is it, were you attracted to defense originally because of the like the more like I guess yeah, warrior he, aspect of yeah, it? Man. Like you run around and just try to clobber the guy with the ball. Yeah. Headhunt. Yeah. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah. That's that was like my mentality as a kid. Like I wanted to do that. I thought it was awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You were good at it. That's pretty <laughs> cool. What was it like having Coach Wolf like you? Uh, <laughs> Did it feel like he liked you? Man, I don't know if he liked me or not. I didn't think it would even feel like he liked you. I, he was like weird, like about it. Um, Let me tell you what it felt like for him to not like you. Oh, he didn't like you. Uh, what? I, I think the only reason he liked me a little bit was because obviously I was an asset to the team. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And, and but other than that, like having a conversation with him, like was pretty dull. Mm-hmm. You know, with that, like, I, I felt like anytime me and Coach Wolf actually had a conversation other than football, like, it was just like, hey, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, he's like, how's your weekend? Awesome. Great. Thanks. <laughs> like, that's how it went. Like, so I was like, this guy doesn't even like me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I don't yeah. know. I don't know why he didn't, but just the way it was. He probably did. He just probably, well, I don't know. I don't think it, it I'm, I'm not surprised to hear that it didn't feel like he liked you, even though from my perspective, he did. Because... One time, the only time he ever talked to me that I remember was outside. We were TJ Edwards and I were standing outside the locker room, and he said, "Hey, Embry, there's donuts in the weight room." I said, "Oh shit, really?" He said, "No, Embry, there's not donuts in the weight room." And then he just walked away. <laughs> oh my like, god, man, that's hilarious! <laughs> so mean. <laughs> that was mean, but it's it's also. <laughs> Like who comes up with that? Like why would he do that? Like I don't understand. Because he didn't like me. Dude, I'm telling you, man. Like Coach Wolf was a different type of beast. Because like, like I said, any time that me and him would actually get into a conversation was about offensive schemes mm-hmm. or you know what we're gonna do on the defense. But other than that, like if he he never ever like asked about like, hey man, like how are you doing in school? You know. Yeah. Or anything like that. Like, you didn't want anything to do with my personal life or, you know, anything about me. It was just kind of like, I just need to use you as a, you're going to be my Mack truck and yeah. carrying the ball this year. Well, he was driven. He wanted to win a, a high school football state championship. He was a driven man. Yeah, he was. He was. Uh, so, how long were you at Thomas Moore? One year. One year? One year. And then what what, what made the transition to leave? What would you think? So, I mean, it honestly came down to money. Yeah. You know, like the school, there was a private school mm-hmm. and uh, they had, you know, helped me out with some money. But I think at the time it was like $28,000 a year. Goodness gracious. Yeah. And, you know, I got to looking at my 
you know, I mean, obviously they helped me out with about half, but I was like, you know, came to the conclusion that, um, graduating with, you know, several thousands, you know, dollars worth in debt is, is that going to be worth it? Not really, you know? So <clears throat> I kind of made the decision. I, I went there originally because I love the coaches and I wanted to play football. Mm-hmm. But at the time I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I was still kind of in that weird limbo of like, man, I just need to figure some things out. Maybe I can go do it as I play college, you know, collegiate sports. So that's what I did. And um, I wish I could have stayed at Thomas More. I love the school. I love the coaches. The teachers were great for the most part. Um, but then I was like, man, this bill is going to be expensive. So I kind of made the financial decision to cut my losses and go to EKU. Mm-hmm. That's where I graduated from. Nice. But I was a five and a half year senior. Oh, don't sweat that, dude. I was like 27 <laughs> when I graduated from yeah. college. What are you talking about? Uh, but you ended up getting a degree in wildlife biology, correct? Man, that's good. Where'd you find that out? Uh, LinkedIn. Oh. <laughs> probably not. That's probably not a lot, a lot, a lot of accurate information. On really? That. Yeah. But it, that is true. It says you uh, activities and societies powerhouse colonels. What was that? Um, that's what I did in college. I was on a weightlifting team. Oh, that's what I figured it so, was. You know, like I said, I couldn't play football anymore. What's the next best or next best thing? And that would be weightlifting. Yeah. You know, you get the same, yeah. you get the same, you get to use the endorphins, you right, get to yeah. get the same like physical. All about it. Yeah. I'm all about it. Yeah. Not so much now, but I used to be all about it. Yeah. I wish I'd been a little bit more about it. I'd probably be a little <laughs> bit less chubby. Yeah. Dude, I'm starting to get the dad bod too. It's okay. What are we, you're 31 now? I'm, I'm 31, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting ready to turn 31 in uh, November. November, yeah. yeah. That's cool. It's not so bad, really. It's not so bad. It really isn't. <laughs> I've, uh, I have I got a little bit skinnier a couple of years back, um, which was cool because at, that was around the same time that all my other friends were getting way fatter. <laughs> so you're like, I'll just meet you guys in the middle? I like, wow, no, I got skinnier <laughs> than a lot of them. Oh, nice. I was down to like probably like 220, I was, and I was- Really heading towards, I may have even got a little bit lower than that. But then um, I started to plateau. I maintained for a long time. Then I got married. That'll do it to you. And I got complacent. But you know what? She's a really great motivator for me. She just went running today. I took Winnie for like a three-mile walk. So There you go. And, you know, I'm just trying to stay moving. And now you're sitting here having some high-calorie wine with me. That's okay. That's all right. (laughs) So what led you to the decision of choosing to study wildlife biology? So... A lot of people don't know this, but uh, I grew up, you know, loving the outdoors. Yeah, you mentioned was, fishing earlier. That was like one thing I always loved to do. I like to be outside. Like even as a kid, like there was one thing I always did, and that was like I would always like leave my house. Like when I got home from school, you know, if my mom didn't make me do my homework first, and uh, I would get home and like run down to the creek and like start flipping rocks and you know logs or whatever, and try to look for salamanders and snakes and. I just, I was just super interested interested in just the way the world worked, and that was anything from catching fish, and I don't know, I was just mesmerized by the outdoors, anything and everything. It's like you know, I love it. Just bring me, you know, bring me whatever outside, I'll, I'll do it. And uh, so that's that's pretty much how I got into it. And I and I originally wanted to be a wildlife biologist or a park ranger of some sort. But unfortunately, when I graduated college, that was like during that first government shutdown. Do you remember that? Yeah. Back in like 2013. That yeah. was like right when I graduated. Right. So. Bunch obvi- of parks shut down and stuff. Yeah, parks yeah. shut down. Like, obviously, 
there was no federal jobs for, you know, these, nobody was hiring. So I was like, well, I'm going to work when I get home. And so I leave college and come home and just start work immediately. Mm -hmm. So what'd you start doing? So funny thing is, man, I used to work for Terminex. Oh yeah? Yeah. Like the termite company. Man, I bet that was simultaneously very gross, but also very satisfying. Well, I, I applied for a job that was like a, um, I think it was a residential sales rep. Like basically I would just go around and like, you know, people would call be like, Hey, I think I got termites, whatever. And I'd go out there and like kind of assess the damage, how much it's going to cost to, you know, do all that stuff. So that's what I did. I, you know, I could sell pretty, pretty good. Um, like I, I worked at valet in college. I worked at a car wash selling my car details, how to detail cars and so forth. So I had, I felt like I had a lot of sales experience. I was pretty good with people. And, um, so I just jumped straight into sales thinking, you know, may, maybe I can make some money, you know, here, but unfortunately I was making like $12 and 80 cents an hour. And I was like, well, maybe this isn't what I need to do. Did you work as a zookeeper? I did. Yeah. Tell me about, about that experience. So that was just like a little college internship right. that I did. Um, I was actually with campus outreach ministry in college and, um, we went up to like Sandusky, every Sandusky, Ohio, you know, where Cedar Point is and all that right on the, you know, Lake Erie, Great Lakes there. And, uh, I remember like seeing that zoo there and I was like, you know, I'm going to just apply there. And it was just like a little safari zoo, like had like little tigers, you know, baby tigers, giraffes, uh, like all these weird safari animals, kangaroos, you know, Bush animals, that's, I should say. Bears or anything like that? No, nothing that aggressive. Like, you know, and they didn't have anything there that would could potentially harm people because right. it was like a resort type area. I see. I see. So, like, the zoo is attached to the largest indoor water park, supposedly in the United States, maybe the world. And, uh, like, they had like all these giant water slides inside a park, like, or inside a hotel. It was, it was wild. But they also had a zoo attached to it where you can go, like, feed animals. So, I, I would just, basically the caretaker at the zoo that sounds awesome uh, it was cool for a summer job like a little summer gig for like nine weeks ten weeks something like that did you get to regularly interact with baby tigers yeah all the time man that's so cool dude them things are ferocious yeah they're little killing machines i've like, got a cat dude this, those things would like i mean even the the baby tigers man like i'm talking the amount of strength these little tigers have they will like they could bite into your shin or your calf and i'm i swear they could take a chunk out of your you know, out of your meat there on your leg. I 100% believe that. They yeah, freak me out. It's not a joke, dude. They're, and their claws are just massive. Like even for like little kittens or whatever you want to call them, they were just, just dirty, man. Like just wild animals. Did you watch Tiger King? I did watch Tiger that King. That motherfucker was out of his mind. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably uh, the wildest show I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, you get to a point where you, the tigers which all by themselves are fucking terrifying and mm -hmm. crazy yeah. and that these people would be in near them, that just becomes normal because those people are so fucking nuts and their lives are so crazy that you're not even thinking, look how close that guy is to that giant cat that could kill him. Yeah, I mean, like, God <laughs> created these massive animals to, like, basically do one thing and that's to be a carnivore and eat other things and take down, like, other giant prey and it's, it's like, why would you want to domesticate these things? It's not a good idea. No, it's crazy. But, you know, it's interesting because you said that you had, like, an affinity and, like, a passion for the outdoors. Mm -hmm. I did. I did not. I had bad experiences as a kid in the outdoors. That it was, like, basically, my dad left me by mm -hmm. myself one time in the outdoors right. for an extended period of time when I was young. And I just got off and just, I thought he was dead. So, I was like, I'm just going to go. 
<laughs> so we actually did a study back in uh, college that shows that if a kid has a bad experience in the outdoors, like say for hunting or fishing on their very first time, like it pretty much ruins their the rest of the time in the outdoors. Like they don't want to do it ever again. Like if you, so if you take a kid out hunting, you know, like say if you have, you know, you and your wife have a kid or, and you want to be like, Hey, I want to take this, you know, take my kid fishing, do whatever. If you let them have a terrible time on that first trip, even if it's only for a couple of hours, you could potentially ruin their time of ever wanting to fish again. Yeah. I can appreciate that. But I will say that in my adult life, I've learned to really appreciate the outdoors. Part of it's my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, she likes to backpack. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of glamping. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But she's still like uh, crossing like large distances on foot and like experiencing mm-hmm. just yeah. like the outdoors. She did the Tour de Mont Blanc in Europe, which was like 108 miles. And then she did uh, she did the, the O loop or the W loop. I can't remember. In Patagonia in South America, which was like 98 miles. That's impressive. It was, she, she really enjoys that. And so like on our honeymoon, we did a lot of hiking and I've learned to really appreciate the outdoors a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's weird. Like how, like people are broken up into different things when it comes to the outdoors. Like you have like the rock climber, hippie style type people. And then you have like the avid hiker. Like, I just want to go for a scenic walk and check things out. Then you got people that want to do the extreme and like go hike Mount Everest and do, do that. And then you have, you know, like the trophy hunters who like want to go to Africa and like chase all these dangerous animals. And then you have, you know, big game hunters. Then you have small game hunters, like people who want to just duck hunt. So it, I think it's just so weird that how like there's such a weird mixture of that. Yeah. Never thought know. about it, but that's the way it is. I think that makes sense because there's definitely a, an allure to the outdoors. Mm-hmm. There's something about it that draws it. Actually, I mm-hmm. think I know what it is. Like, um, we spent so much time in the outdoors right. as a species that it's part of what we are. Mm-hmm. And so we just desire to be out there. And then there's a bunch of different people who yeah. interact with it in different ways. Yeah. I had a, like a different theory. Like when I was growing up, there's a lot of people that say, um, especially like religious people or the religious aspect of it that say that when you're outdoors and you're, you know, actually in creation, like untouched virgin land that you're like, you know, like when you go see the Rocky mountains, have you ever seen the Rocky mountains mm-hmm. in Colorado or anything Not like person, that? But- oh, you need to go make a trip. Yeah. Like screw the beach, go to the mountains. Yeah. And if you go out there, like the only thing to do is to marvel at just the creation of mountains. Or, you know, whatever, the beach or anything like that. Like, people just stand there and they just marvel and they're just... So, why do they do that? And, I, and my theory is, behind it, is that it's that we're viewing God as the creator and you're you're seeing his, his basically his artwork on display that... like And, and it's so f- weird because... Did you know that our mountains, the way they are created and the size of them, that if they were like any bigger, they would actually throw off the rotation of the earth? No, I didn't know that. But yeah. I guess that makes sense. I guess that makes sense. Like, I, isn't that weird? Like how they just they just are in a certain position yeah. just to make the earth rotate perfectly. Yeah. But. I think, I don't know what it is about like the allure of being out in the wilderness, mm-hmm. but it took I had positive experiences on like um, kind of small, decent little like 15 mile hikes with my wife mm-hmm. or maybe even shorter than that. Um, and 
I just really got to experience it. We, when we were on our honeymoon, we went to mm-hmm. uh, the Pacific Northwest and we did oh. um, a few hikes in like the Olympic Peninsula. Oh, nice. It was beautiful. And the trees were humongous. Mm-hmm. And we saw big slugs. Did you see like the redwoods? Is that what Oh, yeah. We about? saw the redwoods too. Yeah. yeah. We drove down the coast and saw like the Oregon coast and stuff. It was nice. awesome. Nice. Yeah. It was beautiful. But I definitely feel that appeal and that like draw to the outdoors. Mm-hmm. And I also feel, um, because you are an avid hunter. Oh, right? yeah. And I feel in a, a draw to hunting. Um, I don't like, this is why I don't hunt because I don't love, um, my 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 dad and my uncle like to deer hunt, mm-hmm. and I don't appreciate deer hunting like with rifles. Mm-hmm. It feels so easy, and it almost feels unfair. Mm-hmm. And like, but then at the same time, like I don't want to invest. I'm a huge hypocrite. I don't want to invest as much time as it would take to get good at like bow hunting right. to actually accomplish it. Mm-hmm. And I feel guilty about eating like the meat that I eat. I would much rather harvest it myself, but I'm just like a huge hypocrite, just like every other man. <laughs> well, so funny thing is, is that, you know, obviously as a kid, I started rifle hunting, so forth with a shotgun, you know, use, just using a firearm in general. Yeah. But as I gotten older, you know, like I had the same idea, like I wanted this to be a little bit more challenging and there's nothing more challenging than bow hunting. Like, I mean, trying to get an animal in at 20 yards ish. I mean, we're talking 20 yards. And then shooting through brush, through trees, then they got to be standing at the right angle to give you a good shot. I mean, just there's so many facts. You got to play the wind because deers, you can't beat a deer's nose, you know? So there's so many factors into it. And I think that's one of the reasons why I really love to do it is because there is those factors of the challenge. It's like a chase. But then again, I also feel super ethical about bow hunting, like, because it's, it's, you know, like modern technology, but I mean, obviously it's 2020. So we're using like advanced bows and so forth. But even then, like, you know, you still got to get a deer within 10 yards and, and like set your stand up and, and so forth and be quiet and play the wind and know how to do those things. Um, but yeah, so that's one of the reasons why. And it's on top of that too, man, it makes it more personal. Um, because anybody can take a rifle and, you know, be decent with a rifle and take a deer at 200, 300 yards. Like, of course that's easy. But to get a deer come in close range like that is super tough, especially if you're trophy hunting. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking maybe, like I can tell you right now, I hunt, I probably hunt three different plots of land, probably all around that sum up to about a thousand acres. So, I mean, we're talking a lot of property and I may find one or two deer on all those, like as a sum, like one and two out of all three properties that have a thousand acres that I'm like trophy chasing. So typically I don't kill a buck unless it meets the criteria of being a, a mature buck who's, you know, obviously lived his time and and he's fully developed and reached his full potential. So that's a chase that I like, but obviously I'll shoot does and so forth for meat and so forth. And there's a reason why we do that and that's usually for population control. And to, in order to get a buck to reach, like say a buck is in his core area, in order for him to reach his potential, like maximize his antler growth, his body size, you know, obviously you don't want to overcrowd, like, cause deer can get overpopulated super quick. And there's a lot of things associated with overpopulation. You like, you get disease, um, you can find famine and then your deer population won't reach their potential because it's kind of like, you know, what do you do with too many crowded people in a grocery store? Like. You start fighting for food. Maybe some people don't get as much. 
the KP, sick, toilet paper. Yeah, you can't find toilet paper. <laughs> like you, you just don't have the luxury of, of you know, reaching your potential or right. living in luxury or, you know, it could be predation. Like if you have a lot of coyotes or wolves or whatever, you can actually run to problems like of stress and the all and all these factors um, basically play out and uh, how a deer reaches its potential. So it's really tough, really tough, especially in the wild. Um, Just because it doesn't happen that it, often, right? Yeah, it doesn't happen that often. So, like, you don't really see a lot of trophy deer. So, there's a lot of factors that play into it. And, like I said, you know, food. So, there's a lot of things that I'll do. And I'll say, you know, I haven't seen a lot of bucks this year or good size ones. And, my, you know, my freezer's getting a little low. I need to harvest some does out because I can tell, like, I'm getting a lot of browse pressure on my food plots. Or, you know, there's not a lot of native vegetation. That, you know, it just looks like a, a desert here. Like, the deer are eating everything. So obviously you need to cut the population back and there's nothing better to do than, you know, harvest your own meat, you know, put it in your freezer. You can process it yourself. Um, I mean, I can kill a doe, get 30 pounds of meat off of it, and that'll feed at least myself yeah. all winter. Right. Like I could eat literally meat, you know, two or three days a week, you know, fresh organic steaks, season them up, throw them on the grill. Perfect. That's really interesting. I never really thought about that and like the sustain the sustainability of that because yeah. deer are just like really yeah. So a lot of a lot of people like you know misconstrue hunters as like these people that just go out there and um and just you know just want to kill something or you know the rednecks whatever. But there's actually a lot of science and method and and madness uh, method madness that we do like so we want our population to reach. Like it's, it's maximum potential. And what we mean by maximum potential is that how can we create the healthiest herd possible? Like, so we know how much, like we can, we can use science to, to figure out exactly how many deer we can have in this area, like on my property, like how many deer can my property hold without, you know, getting so overwhelmed with pressure and disease and then you're attracting coyotes because obviously there's a lot of food here. So it's kind of like you have to constantly balance that criteria and that's what we do as wildlife managers so like you know even though you may see me shoot a doe just be like you know why'd you shoot a doe blah 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 it's like well you know you got to control the population because there's a lot of mouths to feed and so little food that i have mm-hmm. so it's like you got to constantly balance that out you know and it, it's not something like that where or hunters are you know some like animalistic behavior that we have but it's something that we value we appreciate we really appreciate the outdoors and that's what we want to do that's a really interesting perspective about hunting that I haven't really thought about a lot because I like to think about this perspective, which I think you probably will also appreciate because mm-hmm. I listen to podcasts with like Cam Haynes and those like oh, spot yeah. and stalk Dude, hunters. Cam Haynes is my man. I actually got a picture of him on my wall nice. with his signature. Yeah, yeah. He sent me one. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's really cool. Like, uh, so I had submitted a picture to like Cabela's, like they were like, you know, send us the coolest picture, hunting picture you got, you know, and we'll send you like a cool, awesome reward with something with Cam Haynes. And I was like, you know, I'm going to enter this and just see what's happening. So like I sent in this like cool picture of this like really nice buck that I killed back in like 2014, maybe 15. And, uh, and I won like third place and like Cam Haynes like sent me this autograph, like huge framed picture of him like holding a buck just like me. And it was really awesome. So that is really cool. Um, and the reason like that, that I'm interested in Cam Haynes is not so much about like, I'm sure he's an avid conservationist. Yeah, he's really interested he really in like, because he is a hunter. I mm-hmm. think those two things like ethical mm-hmm. hunting and being a conservationist, mm-hmm. I think go in hand in hand. Yeah, it definitely is. But he's also all about like this crazy mindset, like mm-hmm. 
Um, Work harder, nobody cares. Yeah, which, and I struggle to really understand that because it just hasn't been ingrained in me for such a long time. So I can appreciate, uh, I can appreciate that mindset, but I struggle to achieve that mindset. And so, like, I really am super interested in like what it takes to run hundreds of miles, what it takes to like Mm -hmm. hike thirteen miles, like into like the densest forest I can even imagine, Mm -hmm. and then like creep up on a a huge ass elk and then kill it. (laughs) Man, so like, there's so many like philosophies out there, and like, to me, like doing something like that is like a super like masculine thing to do, and and that's why like I felt like I was drawn to like you know aggressive sports and and uh, like you know being the headhunter out on the field and, and like being a super dominant factor because we're unlocking the masculinity of like how we came to be, and that's what masculinity is is being like have an aggressive nature, like doing the unthinkable, like do things that like are, are scary. We, yeah. We, it takes a lot of courage. So when you do these things or like you see me out doing these things and it like, I don't know what it does, but it, it just makes me feel like I'm purposeful mm-hmm. and like me being a man. Yeah. I, I don't know if that, that. if that makes sense at all. Like some, something down those lines, it's really hard to paint a picture. With I hear that with what words. you're saying. Like the way I imagine it is, is like almost kind of like spiritual. Like it's a part of mm-hmm. what being a man mm-hmm. has been for yeah. such a long time. Yeah. That it really feels like you're getting back to like the heart of what it means to be a human male. Mm-hmm. You're doing this thing that men have done for ages. Right. And that was was so important for the the survival of their family and their mm-hmm. friends. It was almost like elevated to a level of like there was a celebration every time this took place and it was also used to be extremely dangerous Mm -hmm. so like it was i mean practically um to the level of like going to war if you were Mm -hmm. going to go kill a boar not everybody might come back from that you know what i mean no definitely not yeah so especially if you're doing it with sticks and shit well i think a lot of like what like gladiators or like back in the times of you know the the roman periods or you know uh trying to think of like tribes and so forth like way back in history i think what they do they send their you know young male children out to like go slay an animal or do something crazy just to prove their masculinity and i think that was like a weird thing to do but it's also like i can understand why like i can relate to it because there's there's just something about it like when you get to like taste like you're just like oh this makes total sense of why men do what we do you know and i feel like you know men in general if we don't do these things like not like just specifically to hunting or whatever but if we don't take on this aggressive nature of courage of doing something that's um not a lot of people want to do and so forth i feel like men typically go down the wrong route of you know, taking this behavior of what they want to do into other things that probably are unlawful. Yeah. Does, does that make sense at all? Like we, we want to join gangs or, you know, just, just, just unweird, like, or weirdly uh, masculine traits come out that are unlawful, not right. Or mm-hmm. they, they're just displaced. I can, if that makes sense. I can see how like, you're kind of like sort of equating like the participation in sports yeah, or like the participation in like, cause something that you do now, which is mm-hmm. like, you, is the military and then hunting. It's a, it's, it's a character building, but it's a specific type of character. Mm-hmm. Building. Yeah. So, cause for me, honestly, I relate to it in the sense mm-hmm. that like, I'm attracted to those things, mm-hmm. but I don't often participate yeah. in things that are like super hyper masculine. Yeah. Well, would you would you want to? I would, but I wouldn't be great at them. It doesn't matter. You know, you would but be it, great at but them. I would enjoy them. I would enjoy them. Well, like, I'll tell you what, like 
maybe this fall, you know, when I get back home, I'll, I'll take you out and let you experience firsthand. Cause I, I can tell you right now, if you want to like hunt and whatever, like I got you. Yeah. All you have to do is ask, Okay. you know, <laughs> just ask me and I'll take anybody out. Like I've had people in my Facebook, just ask me like, uh, Justin Metcalf. Do you yeah. remember him? I saw you guys the other day out shoot, or I saw it on your Facebook yeah. that you guys went yeah. out and shooting. And stuff so like, that. like Justin Metcalf, like, you know, we kind of, parted ways in high school he went in the military the marine corps and so forth and then you know i went my separate way you know came out of college joined the workforce and then you know joined the the air force after that and one day he just hit me up he's like hey man like uh, i i'm just thinking about getting into hunting and uh, like getting into turkey hunting and so forth and i was like he's like you know can you point me where to go or you know just give me some tips and pointers on how to do this and just me being the way i am i'm like bro like dude, I got you, man. Like asking the right questions. You know, when I come back to you, all you gotta do is ask, Right. you know? Um, and dude, I was like, dude, I got you, man. So, you know, of course, like me and Justin, we got together and I was like, look, dude, let's, let's get together. We'll scout. And I, you know, took him to my farm and we shot a shotgun, patterned it out. And, and, uh, I was like, dude, this is where the turkey's going to be. I like showed him how to scout and do all this stuff. And then we went out on his first hunt, turkey hunt. And we didn't even sit there 30 minutes and boom, like nailed it. Yeah. Like he got his first turkey and he was pumped. I bet. And, uh, I mean, it was like, there's nothing more successful than just going out there. Like we knew where they were going to be. Like we set up 30 minutes later, like he's got a bird down his first turkey. And it was, it was like, so like weird, I guess, baffling to him that I was like, Hey, you know, man, all you gotta do is just, just ask. Like, uh, that's just like a simple thing in life is, you know, if you want something or you want to do something like that, like sometimes you just need to ask the right questions. Yeah. And the right people. Cause you were the right people. You were yeah. the person to go to for that information. Yeah. He got a lot of information that he otherwise like, so might like not have one of the reasons like why I love to hunt and like love to fish and stuff like that is because I feel like there's no other bonding experience that men can have together than doing like these crazy things together. Like, you know, uh, I, there's a Bible quote that I love to quote all the time. It's a uh, iron sharpens iron, mm -hmm. you know, like there's that friction and, and so forth like that, that happened between men that, that just make us mesh like that men, like we men build relationships together when they work together or they, they work side by side, shoulder to shoulder and women work together when they have heart to heart. Like, I, I, I believe that to this day, like, and, and even like in children, like if you ever, um, like if you ever, you know, had, or, you know, maybe family members have just really young children, three, four years old, like usually when you meet a three or four year old, like, you know, boy, the first thing he wants to do is like, you know, let's wrestle, you know, or let's just, just get wild and do crazy things. Let's go play guns. Like, let's do this stuff. And that's how like men or boys like together, like that's how they build relationships. And women, like, you know, there's a lot of times where I've met, like, you know, three or four-year-old girls, and they're just like, hey, like, I just want you to listen to me talk, tell me I'm pretty, let's go have a tea party, play Barbies in house with me. And, and that's how they build relationships, because they have a heart-to-heart -heart kind of thing where men just want to be roughed up, and, like, that's how we build, you know, build those relationships between men. Yeah, I definitely think the way that men and women communicate is different. Um, 100%. But what's interesting though is, is because when I listen to you talk about these things, like I don't relate to that. Yeah. I, I genuinely don't. Like I don't relate to like saying like when I got around my friends, like wanting to wrestle. Mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting that I say that because it's some, it's something that I am attracted to now. Yeah. Like wanting to learn to be able to defend myself better mm -hmm. is something that I'm interested in learning more about. Yeah. And uh, just all of those things. 
that there's definitely something natural about that and something mm-hmm. that's automatically appealing to me about that. Well, I mean, I think it'd be kind of weird if you just started wrestling just grown men, like wherever. You know, like in the, the middle of Walmart. Yeah, yeah, I'd probably get in a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah, don't be doing that. Like, you know, people might mistake in that. But um, so, so, like, it's one of those things that, like, I just truly believe that's how men, like, we really connect. Mm-hmm. Like, so me and Justin Metcalf, like, we just hit it off. Like, boom. Like, you know, who would have known? Um, and, but the thing is, like, we had a lot of commonality. Like we had a lot of conservative views. We had both, you know, military experience. Mm-hmm. We both were like gun enthusiasts and so forth. So we just, we just kind of meshed. And like, then on top of that, you add the hunting experience on top of that. And now it's just like, you know, Hey man, like you're always welcome to whatever. That's awesome. Know? So yeah, you build that bond. Yeah. Like it was just one of those things. Hey guys, we'll get back to Just Friends in just a second, but first, I want to take the opportunity to talk to you guys about something really cool that our friend Andrew Morris is doing. Andrew was our last guest on the podcast before we had to transition to Zoom podcasts, and in that time, he's actually managed to to get his own podcast up off the ground and running. It's called What the Niche, and it is awesome. Andrew was a really great conversationalist on the show, and he takes that skill and really brings it alive in What the Niche. The whole premise of the podcast is he reaches out to individuals who are members of certain groups, and then he has them talk about those groups. So teachers, musicians, Christians, horror film enthusiasts, all kinds of cool stuff. He really runs the gambit, and it's super interesting. His conversations are all very thoughtful and very fun, and I really think if you listen to Just Friends and you enjoy what we're doing here, you will probably also enjoy what Andrew's doing over at What the Niche. We share some guests. I'm a guest on the podcast, so if nothing else, you have to check out that episode. So head over to Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts and check out What the Niche. Leave them a review and a rating, and while you're at it, leave us one too. You guys, it really goes a long way. It's super helpful, and I do really think you'll appreciate what Andrew's creating over there at What the Niche. All right, that's it, guys. Uh, Let's get back to the show. So you made a comment that leads to a perfect transition, which is after high or excuse me, after college, you said you joined the Air National Guard. I did. What led to that decision? Honestly, um, so, you know, as I got out of college, started working the nine to five job and it just it just wasn't my thing. Like just waking up, you know, work eight hours, come home, go to the gym. You know, I was making okay money, like it wasn't anything spectacular, you know, just your average, you know, average Joe salary, whatever. And um, again, that drive of masculinity just hit me like I, I want to do something more. I feel like I need to, you know, do something more, be a part of something bigger than myself. Mm-hmm. So that came down to the um, idea that like my brother was in the National Guard, my stepdad was in the National Guard. And, uh, they were like, you know, just give it, give it a look. And I was like, all right, yeah, I'll give it a look. So I go talk to a recruiter. My brother hooks me up with this like cool guy named Matt. And, uh, he's just like, man, dude, like you'd be a perfect fit for out here. He's like, you know, I think I might have the perfect job for you, but you got to test for it. And then, then you got to go, you know, do a quick interview for it. And I was like, okay. So I go check it out. Uh, you know, lo and behold, I, I go, you know, go to MEPS downtown at the Muhammad Ali center. And they're like, you know, giving me my, this medical view of like everything on my body and, you know, looking at my eyes and checking my color vision, all, you know, everything. 
anything you can think of my speech to make sure I wouldn't, didn't have a stutter, like all this stuff, checking my hearing. Like it was like a full blown eight hour physical. And, uh, then I, at the end of it, I, I take a test, you know, to, ch- you know, check, you know, how, you know, what your intellect is or, you know, how intelligent you are and, you know, math problems, English reading, so forth. And I get my score back and, and, uh, and I go home and I just like, well, I don't know what any, you know, what the score means. Well, Matt calls me the next day and he's like, Hey man, you know, how'd you feel? You know, everything went on your physical and your, and your test. And I was like, well, I guess I felt pretty good. Like, I don't really know what to expect. So he called, or, you know, Tells me, he's like, well, you know, I got some great news for you. I think I got a sweet job for you. I was like, oh, like, you know, what is that? And uh, he's like, you know, you need to check out this job called a one alpha two loadmaster. And I was like, uh, okay, like I'll, I'll give it a look and, you know, I'll let you know. And so, I, you know, I'll go do all this research. I'm like, you know, this looks like a pretty sweet job, like being an enlisted aviator. And, um, and he's like, you know, all I need you to do is, you know, you just go over and have a quick interview with the chief of the section and the loadmaster section. And I was like, okay. And so I do. And, and, you know, next thing you know, he's like, you know, so when do you want some school dates? And I was like, well, I don't know. Like, you know, do, do you think I should do it? And my brother's like, uh, you know, just encouraging me to do it. And my stepdad was like, you know, you should, you should do it. You know, it's a really good experience. Like you'll, you'll, you'll do things that, that only maybe like 0.001% of the population can ever think about doing great experience and i was like okay so i just wake up one day and i'm like you know i'm just gonna enlist right now so like four years ago i enlisted and uh i loved it ever since i did you know it's been a great experience so i you know i go to basic training and which was kind of a weird experience because like i i was 26 years old when i went to basic training which is kind of like being old, you know, compared to like a lot of the 18, 19, 20 year old guys that were in there. Right. Um, so like I was like the dad. Yeah. I imagine you flight. were immediately a leader. Uh, yeah. I was pointed out as dorm chief first day, like yeah. the leader of my flight and like day one or since that day, like day one, when I got picked out, um, I actually led my flight, marched my flight, you know, by the end of basic training and graduate and so forth. So I was responsible for my flight and everything that happened in it and so forth. Yeah. So I, I got screwed. I, I wouldn't say got screwed, but, you know, I got picked out out of the group. And apparently they had everything on me, you know, like, you know, I went to school, college, you know, where I worked. They knew everything. And um, so, yeah, that's that's what happened. So is that's I mean, like you've been a part of teams since you were younger. Mm-hmm. So I imagine yeah. that was a natural transition because now you're just a part of a different team. Yeah, it was like, uh, and to be honest with you, there's a lot of strife, you know, within basic training. There just is, you know, um, there's a lot of people that just didn't agree with me, you know, like they wanted to fight against me. And I'm just like, bro, like we're all in this together. Like, I'm not here to screw you. I'm here to just, you know, to lead basically. And I'm, you know, and to make sure that we get through this together and like without, you know, doing something stupid. So that's, that's how that went. But, uh, no, like I, I love the Kentucky Air National Guard. They're great. So what, what types of jobs did you, or have you been, had the opportunity to do with the Air National Guard? Just loadmaster. Okay. Yeah. So it's, I can't really get, you know, too, too in depth with it, but, uh, you know, we fly on C-130s. I'm sure you've seen them flying around okay, before. Yes. Um, so we fly on C-130s. I'm responsible for all the cargo that comes in and out of the airplane, including, okay. you know, airdrops and, you know, doing personnel airdrops and so forth out of it. That's very cool. 
Uh, so I imagine you've seen like humans jump out of planes and like oh, vehicles yeah. launched out of planes yep. and all kinds of cool shit. Wow, man, that's awesome. Yep. That's really cool. So you've done that now for four years? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was not 100% sure that you were even in the military. Uh, I assumed. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, man, I, I do things weirdly. Like, obviously, I just don't like, you know, want to throw my business out there too much. You know, I use a lot of like aliases online and so forth. And that's just because like a lot of times people can get the wrong ideas of who you are without even talking to you. And they're quick to, you know, to dismiss you. Um, without even knowing you. And I feel like that's a a culture that we've kind of grown into. So there's some things that I do, you know, to, you know, protect myself, obviously, and, and, uh, and so forth. I can appreciate that. My father-in-law is pretty uh, secretive. Like he doesn't even participate on social media at all. You know, I honestly think that's like a really smart thing to do. I think it is too. You know, like, but we're already like knee deep or waist deep in it. So it's like, you know, might as well just swim out in the deep end and just get swallowed by Megalodon, you know? You're absolutely right. That's kind of how I feel about it too. I was like, I made a Facebook when I was like 16 years old, not knowing what it was. And now it's there, you know? So he doesn't have a Gmail. Like, I'm pretty sure that this man nice. like is off the grid as much as he can be. Well, I can tell you right now, you do anything online, the government knows about it. Any text message, phone call you make, everybody knows. I know. Like, there's no way of hiding it. No. And not only does the government know about it, but pretty much all the major corporations know about it. And they're selling that information to each other. And- oh, 100%. Like, there's there's no there's no hidden agenda or anything like that, um, you know, about your life. Like, everybody yeah. knows about it. Yeah. And that's fine. So, like, what I've just decided, I mean, I felt like I kind of have a, a relatively, like, low-key social media presence, to be honest. I, I mean, feel like you do, and I feel like you need to amp it up a little bit. You think so? I, I feel like you do, especially with the podcast thing. Like, cause yeah. I, I feel like the way you've gotten this set up, the way you've, you know, <laughs> like, honestly, I, I came over, and I didn't even know what to expect. I was like, you know, I know he's got this podcast thing, but I was like, you know, what are we going to be sitting over a table, you know, having tea? and Right. But like, no, like you had this setup, man. You got the exact wine that I love drinking. You got this like cool studio set up. I mean, it's, it's really cool. I appreciate that, man. I appreciate yeah. that because I've put a lot of work into it. And you're right. I think uh, I could benefit from like increasing my social media presence, but it, I did it for the same reason as you. Like you nowadays, if you express an opinion that is the opposite of yeah. The groups that are on the fringes, yeah, you're automatically 100%. in the other group. Yeah. You're automatically in the group. So we kind of talked about that earlier, how like you, before we even did the podcast, I told you, I was like, we probably have differing viewpoints. Probably. I'm, I'm pretty- 100%. I'm pretty progressive, honestly, but I'm open to hearing a rational conservative point of view. Right. And like, so like, while like I'm- I, air towards the progressive side of thinking i'll listen to ben shapiro Mm -hmm. and i'll take away the things that he says that 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 apply value that bring value to my life right yeah and the things that i disagree with him on i'm like man i feel like maybe that's because like i value this a little bit more than you value this um he's a super religious dude he's really into um judaism and into his faith and i think that informs a lot of his decisions and i 100 percent appreciate it and and understand why yeah so like my thing is is there's a lot that Pretty much everybody you are going to encounter are probably going to have a different opinion. I've never met anybody in my life that was exactly like me. Never. But, you know, like, but what we have gotten away with as a society and culture is that, you know, maybe me and you sitting across from each other in the studio, you know, we may have 100% different ideas on, about you know, just about life or, you know, the way things should be done. But there was, there's been no disrespect shown there's no been you know dismissal of each other or there's no denying each other's humanity 
you know, but, but we can sit here and we can talk and be friends. And, and I feel like there's one thing that can change the mind faster than anybody in the world. And that's one thing is like respect is like, if you just respect people in general and just talk to people and like, you know, befriend them and so forth, more than likely you could, you know, change your mind. You can have civil conversations about things and get down to the real deal because in, in all reality, like, you know, maybe me and you disagree on stuff, but we all can agree both that we're all in the same thing of, you know, wanting to achieve success and, and, uh, you know, just have a great opportunity of life and, and be able to seek freedom and, and health and, and prosperity, you know, as a whole. Like that's what we can always go back to and say, hey, but the thing is when you incorporate in respect and, and so forth into that and friendship, um, it kind of changes things because it's like, you know, hey, no matter what we disagree on, like me and you can always sit down and have a conversation and I'll share my wine with you. I'll you know share my food with you. Or if you want to go hunting, I can share that experience with you too. So that's my thing is like, mm-hmm. we've gotten away from that where we're just so quick to dismiss people just because they have different ideas. And I think that has a lot to do with social media to take it back to that place. I think oh, 100%. It, it's, it's how we communicate now. It's so weird. And, um, you know, what the thing that you touched on about respect, I, I value that highly too. I really mm-hmm. have yeah. that highly Goes respect. And you know what? It's even more than respect for me. It's kindness. Like, Oh um, yeah, 100%. I might not even respect a person because of like uh, a certain um, point of view that they've chosen to take on that I think is like specifically egregious. Mm-hmm. Like a person who like like legitimately chooses to hate another person because of the color of their skin. Yeah, that's 100%. I would be like, right. I don't want to participate with you, but I will show you kindness. Yeah. And and I think in a lot of ways that can kind of be respect. Like I, I, I think perhaps this ideal that you hold is deplorable, but I think you as a person deserves to be treated with uh, a certain level of of interaction yeah so and so like that's kind of what i was coming into this you know and the last week i had on i don't know if you remember him from high school daryl young daryl young he was in my graduating class and he just ran for metro council district four and he works at the muhammad ali center and i think uh in terms of like being a progressive person, he's further in that direction than even I am. And right. we had a really great conversation. I got yeah. to talk to him and um, some of the things we talked about that he said, I agree with and some of the things that we didn't, but at the end of it, I, I think I would like to get drinks with that man again. He's a really yeah. cool dude. And that's the thing, man. It's like, you know, like I, you see all this like divide, like, especially when you get, you know, get on social media and so forth. But like in reality, if like social media just didn't exist, like these people are your neighbors, your peers, you work with them. And more than likely, you've always had a, like a good, a good, like based relationship with these people, even though you guys like completely may disagree on topics. But it, the thing is, like, we don't deny each other humanity or, you know, disrespect one another just because we have different viewpoints. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting thing that I think does happen, though. It's and it's something that's coming from like from the left. Uh, this whole like silence is violence thing. Or like um, just the idea that words can be violent, you know, that's just silliness. Well, in my opinion, um, is that the world will always bring you adversity. People will always bring you adversity. They will always, you know, there always will be troubling times in your life. There always will be. But here is your opportunity of like, you know, what's going to be the biggest difference in your life is how you respond to everything. Mm -hmm. So I would say, you know, if you have the opportunity to respond to, you know, say, for instance, somebody did you wrong, you have the opportunity to, you know, 
deal with that person respectfully and, you know, voice your opinion and so forth. And I feel like that's, you know, like I said, we're getting away from it. We're getting away of just having civil conversation with people, realizing that most people, for the most part, they they want to do right by you and, and they want you to do do right by them. You know? Right. I think that's definitely true. Um, and you get that experience and I've noticed that experience even more now because freaking COVID had me locked in my house (laughs) and like not going to work or anything for a long time. And then once like finally people started going back out, like I'd be waiting in line at a store because everybody was. Well, here's the, you want to know the funny thing is, man, my life hasn't changed one beat. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Not at all. No, like I've, I've been at work, you know, somebody's, you know, making megawatts. Yeah. Somebody's got to make electricity. That's true. So, you know, and on top of that, the national guard, like we can't just stop. Yeah. You know, stop, uh, you know, because of COVID-19 can't stop, you know, serving the country. So you're doubly essential. I would, I wouldn't say that, but I'm just, you know, just saying like, you know, life hasn't really changed for me. It changed in the sense that I can't go out and do things that I normally would do, like go out to dinner and so forth. You know, like that's a little odd now, or, you know, when places shut down, you couldn't dine in to eat like that, that kind of bothered me. Cause like sometimes like when I, you know, have a day off from working two you know, demanding jobs, yeah, like that's I just nice want to. I'd like to just go down and sit down and eat. You know, grab a steak and a beer and just relax. You know, hang out with my friends or whatever. But I mean, it kind of turned into one of those things that I just hang out at my house anyways. You uh-huh. know, have a bonfire, which is what we always do. You know. Yeah, I definitely. I will say, you know, when the lockdown happened, mm-hmm. although I appreciate it in it, like what it was trying to accomplish. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like once you, I mean, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. but if we had done a much better job and been actually like legitimately more strict, like really early on for a short yeah. period of time, probably could have had a significant effect, but I did have a problem right. with being told like, you can't do things. You or can't go you places. 100% can't be in here without a mask, sir. Right. <laughs> Even though they have the mask pulled down, only covering their mouth and their nose is breathing all over your chili. Yeah. That bothers me a little bit. I don't actually though, but I do wear a mask everywhere I go because for me, it's more kind of like a, what you're saying earlier, like a respect thing. Like my wife <clears throat> works in a hospital treating right. COVID patients yeah. and I don't want to give somebody fucking coronavirus. Not to say that I don't even think I have it. Yeah. Uh, well, here's my take on it, man. Is like, I don't own a mask. Surprise. I haven't worn a mask, even though I haven't been shut down at all. And, you know, it's not like I had to, I was forced to stay home or anything. Like I've been working. Nobody's worn a mask. And, um, just the funny thing is, is it's, it's, it's such a weird thing. Like, I feel like we've gotten such a mixture of what to do. You know what I'm saying? Like they're, they're saying like, you know, mask are going to stop it or, you know, staying at home is going to slow down, which it probably did. I'm sure it did. Um, but you know, we've, we've gotten such a mixture of information that like, oh, these, these masks, you know, wearing a, a facial covering, whatever, but like, you know, what type of facial covering? Like, does it have to be just strictly an N95 mask? Is it a bandana? Like, what are we wearing? Or, you know, half the time that I've gone out to eat and you see people working and like, they don't even have the mask on, right? Like, it's not even covering their nose. And I'm like, well, okay, I know you've experienced it too. Yeah. Those people suck a little bit, but what you going to do about those people? And, and that's just my thing is like, you know, what are we really doing here? Like, are we... Like, are we, is this serious or like, are you just forcing me to do something? Like, I, I don't know what, what's really happening. You know, we've got such a mixture of like, you know, what's the survival rate? You know, is it, do we treat it like the flu, like the normal flu? Do you wear a mask with a normal flu? I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. but this, right. do the statistics match the normal flu? Do they not? Like, who, who knows right now? You're definitely right about that. The information has been bad. And not only has the information been bad, but we've also been 
directly lied to by the CDC. One hundred percent. They were like, you don't, you don't need to be wearing masks. And then now you need to wear. And a mask. now you need to wear a mask. And yep. I think what's his name, Fauci, basically straight up said like. Yeah. They said that because they were trying to conserve masks, but right. now that that's not a problem anymore, you should definitely wear masks. Right. Well, then you got like, where are these masks being made? Right. You know, are yeah. they in some sweatshops in China or you yeah. know, what's going on here? My mask was <laughs> made by my mom's, the lady that she cuts her hair. Yeah. And you know what? For a little while, I'm not going to lie. The ears were, are made out of hair barrettes. They hurt the fuck out of my ears, man. Oh, <laughs> I don't love it. That's kind of wild. <laughs> no, but like, uh, I, I just... I've like I said I I don't wear the mask and 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 but I will like I had the idea in my mind like I actually brought a mask that I like get from work that mm-hmm. if you want one you can wear one um or if you know so I kind of keep one in my truck just in, you know out of respect like if I come to somebody's house or whatever and they just like you know would you, would you please wear a mask you know just out of respect I brought one over here just in case like you know cuz I was going to you know respect your home and so forth or and uh so that's what I do, but I, I think where we get carried away is when we start forcing people to do things. Like, we're going to force you to wear a mask. It's like, well, no, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're not going to force me to do anything. But that's the thing that I feel about, like, masks. Like, I feel like it's an unreasonable thing to ask me to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't, I do not like the whole, like, the governor says you have to. Yeah, I don't either. That bothers. I would legitimately say I don't like it. Well, I mean, I, like I said, I, I work for the military. You know, yeah. I work for the government, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and I signed up to do that. So, like, obviously, I have to do things they tell me. Yeah. You know, there's just, you know, I, I signed up to defend the Constitution of the United States, you know, whether that be, you know, foreign or domestic terror, whatever. And um, I just I just find it weird when when I see, like, government crossing these freedoms that we have like you know like i signed up to defend um but like i said you know take my word with a grain of salt here because there's things i can say can't say but but i just i don't like it when we see our government just impede on our freedoms even if it's such as a small thing as forcing you to wear a mask Mm -hmm. because i feel like if you start allowing the government to do these little things eventually it's going to be okay to start doing bigger things or we're going to we're going to take it to the next step you know, and that's a, and I feel like that's a fine line that you're playing with on, you know, where people are in regards to the freedom. And I can appreciate that point of view, especially considering like legitimately who our government is, especially on like the top tiers of government. Like, who are those people? Yeah. I don't like any of those people. I don't, I don't <laughs> like our current president. I mean, like, I don't, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to talk shit about him because he's our president. Mm-hmm. Um, but, as just a person, I don't have a lot of respect for the guy. He yeah. doesn't seem like he has a, it doesn't seem to be a person of high integrity right. to me. Um, and also it, I just really don't like the other person that I'm being told that I'm probably going to have yeah. to vote for. In so November. like, you know what, like me, you know, you're probably like, Oh, this guy's like, you know, 100% pro Trump supporter. That's true. Like I am a Trump supporter, but do I always agree with, everything that trump says absolutely not you know like i'm i'm not always on board with you know the things our leadership does um that's doesn't matter if they're conservative or you know liberal um so for me like yes i am a trump supporter and i have my reasons why um, I'm, I typically lean on more conservative values, even though maybe Trump's like not the most conservative, but I typically lean towards more conservative values. I'd rather have like I'd rather deal with a president that's that holds you know right wing values 
versus going way off into the left, um, like the deep left mm-hmm. kind of values. Like I, I, I like to be more kind of on the middle, but more just leaning toward the right. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Would it would it be fair to say that you're a Trump supporter? Because in a lot of ways, you kind of have to be. He's the guy. He's the guy that's there. The Don. Would you prefer it if there was like this really like high integrity conservative guy, maybe like a military guy, maybe who like held like very similar values to you? Wouldn't you rather have that dude, honestly? Or would you Um, rather have Donald Trump? Well, here's the deal with Donald Trump. Donald Trump's been in the spotlight. And I I honestly, I feel kind of bad for Donald Trump. And the reason I say that is because of the way the media portrays him. Yeah. Nobody likes him really. Seems like. Well, it's just like, I feel like a lot of people like are just constantly out to get the Donald, like just, just, just plain, you know, his day, like just out to get the Donald, like just doesn't matter what it is. Let's, let's just do like, you know, constant things of impeachment or, you know, sexual allegations. He's a racist, like all this stuff. And it's like, well, none of these things happen. Like, and this guy's been in the spotlight for literally 40 years, you know, since like the (laughs) seventies, like literally he's been a, a billionaire. And like nobody said these allegations until now, so I kind of feel bad for him that as soon as he gets into politics, he gets you know immediately attacked, which I feel for the dude. Like, and but the thing is, would I have like you know rather have a guy that's like military stronghold? Now that's I like people that are pro military because I feel like the military is important and necessary, but it, you got to be careful with how you use it. Yeah. Okay. So maybe I phrased that question incorrectly by the way that I said that. Like, uh, I don't know. I I think I kind of would lead on the end. Just I think Donald Trump might be a scumbag. I think he might be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I understand how a scumbag ends up as president. Right. I totally understand that. Well, I think the the reason he got elected, and the reason I say this is because I don't feel like there was any other good candidates. Number two. People were like, you know, we're tired of what we've like, we're just completely fed up with what we've dealt with, completely fed up. And we want to like return back to like pro-American values, um, kind of, you know, pro-military, just that type of aspect, like, like, you know, we want to bring back, you know, build the wall, do all this stuff, bring manufacturing back to the U.S. Like be, be just be pro-American, pro-U.S. And I feel like that's what people were like, you know, we've. We, we did change for, you know, eight years or whatever, and we really didn't see any change. Let's do something different. And then, like, you know, Donald Trump gets elected. And next thing you know, like, the stock market just skyrockets. Like, that was a big hit for me of, like, why I love Donald Trump is because um, the way he's had an effect on the stock market. And, and I don't know anybody that, like, doesn't like money. Like, I mean, if you invest yeah. in your 401k, like, I like to see my 401k money double. You know what I'm saying? That's my retirement. That's all I got. I don't have a pension anymore. Do you? No. So, like, we rely on the market. I did when I was a teacher, but I'm not a teacher anymore, so now yeah. I don't. And also, I don't know how much longer that'll be there. Yeah. Like, who knows that, it? you know, with yeah. government, you know, the Bashir, and that's a funny thing about Bashir is, like, you know, he was all about, like, protecting the teacher's pension. Yeah. But then again, like, I don't think that's going to happen now. I don't know. When I think about the stock market going up, what that really kind of says to me is like, I think, I feel like rich people are getting richer. I don't know if that really translates to like the average dude. I don't know if it does really. So, well, here, check this out. So I just started like dabbling into the stock market like big time, like just recently. And just watching what happens, like, like just gaining knowledge of the stocks 
has literally changed the world that I lived in when regard like in regards to financials. Like I'm talking like you could place, you know, $500 investment. And I would say most people probably have $500 to play with. Like sure if you can go out and eat, you know, eat. You I know. don't think they do. Well, that's the difference. I would I say this. I would say probably your your normal middle class person probably can go out to eat at least two or three times to a pretty decent restaurant. And you're ready to spend, you know, let's say out of two or three times you spend 150 bucks. If even if you take 150 bucks and invest it, you could gain back maybe 175, like gain 25 dollars within a day or two. And I hear you, but I think the thing that we disagree on is I don't think that's most people. I'm, yeah, I'm you, one, you I'm one of right. those people. I'm definitely one of those people. I could, I have money that I could throw around and, and dabble in the stock market. But like when I was teaching, most of the kids mm-hmm. I was seeing, their parents didn't have $500 laying around yeah, to I mean, play with. You might be right. And, but the thing is, is that, um, and, and, and that's one thing, like that's probably me being more in the middle yeah. of where I'm at. Like, you know, I'm not always far right. I am far right on a lot of things, but one of those things is like, you know, bringing a quality of pay, like, you know, substantial, like not like bringing minimum wage up to like, you know, $15 an hour. I don't feel like that's a necessary thing to do, but uh, I do like to see good pay for honest work, if that makes sense. Like, for instance, like police officers, I don't feel like they get paid enough for what they do. Like, I, like you know what I'm saying? Like, they, I've, I have, a, you know, several buddies that are in law enforcement and sheriffs and SWAT teams and so forth. And even in the military, they're police officers. And I just don't feel like they get paid for what they have to endure. They don't. I, my brother-in-law is a police officer. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's a huge problem. And he is a... So, like, I, I have friends who are police officers and I think, man, I'm glad they're police officers. And then I have friends yeah. who are police officers and I'm like, right. I, I don't know if I'm glad that they're a police officer. Genuinely... They're people I haven't really interacted with in like eight, ten years. So they might be great, great individuals. They might have grown into totally awesome people. Yeah. Um, so I don't know that. And another thing, I don't, I don't think teachers get paid enough. Yeah. Well, I think that's. I was a teacher for a couple of years, and that was definitely a big yeah. problem. But I also think uh, we limit our teachers on what they can do, too. For sure. They do. And like, we uh, also don't incentivize. And this is true with cops. We don't incentivize the the best people for that job to mm-hmm. take those jobs. Yes. Yeah. Well, what about this too? You know, like if you ever think about police officers, like why are we not like, you know, like there, I feel like there's a constant divide between the public and police officers, Mm -hmm. but you know, me being friends with most of the public and I, you know, have a lot of cop friends. I work with a lot of cop friends, you know, been military cops. Like I'm friends with all of them. And for the majority part of these are great people, you know, teachers, people, the general public, great people and cops, great people that want to do the right thing and like, you know, really stop crime. They want to do the right thing. And, um, I don't know where I was going with this. I kind of lost track for a second, but, uh, I, I don't feel like they get paid enough for what they endure. And I feel like they're controlled. Like, why, do, why are we not incentivizing getting the public in with officers. Like, I feel like it would have been a great beneficial thing for even me in high school. Like, Hey, what do you do when you get pulled over? No. What, what if you're carrying, what if you're carrying concealed, you know, 18 years old or 21, excuse me. But you know, like, or what do you like? What do you, how do you, how are you supposed to position your hands? Like, you know, just cause the cops need to protect themselves. They have to go home to a family too, you know? And on top of that too, they're, if anybody's going to encounter violence, it's going to be a police officer over you and me. Yeah, that's for know? sure. And you know, I think, so, so this is my point of view on police officers. Um, 
I definitely want to hear more about yours. But yeah. So my brother-in-law is a police officer. Right. And he's also like exactly the type of person that I want being a police officer. Right. So you're you're saying your brother is the exact person you want to be a police officer? He's per, he's, he, he's exactly like who I guy. want yeah. policing. Mm. He is like honest, genuine, genuine, he honest, follows high integrity, yeah. high integrity. Okay. Um, kind. Yeah. Slow to anger. Yeah. Um, hard hard to escalate. Yeah. I could I could see it being challenging to get him riled up. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing too, and thoughtful. man. Like you, you, I feel like police officers we should judge their personality on how quick are they to anger we should hold them i think we should hold police officers to a higher right degree of too. scrutiny than normal person but i also think if you're going to judge them at a higher scrutiny then you also need to pay them we got to be you're right we got to we got have to. to yeah got so to. so you know like when i hear so like i've already said i'm a pretty progressive person but when i hear something like defund the police i i scoff at that automatically i, do too. I think that's a silly I, I, thing to say <clears throat> We can't. Well, uh, we think, need the police. Everybody wants the police. Well, think about like what's been happening like recently, like just just about the the view of cops and the public. You know, on top of that, just like recently, that they're they're subject to violence more so right now, like with everything happening in the world, than they are, you know, six months ago. And it's like, well, why is that? Like, what what what's the problem here? And then you have things like defund the police. People have this like bad image of of cops now. So it's like, we are constantly putting these cops lives in danger. And a lot of these cops are literally young men like you and me, young families, you know, maybe just started you know, have a baby on the way or whatever, you know, these cops don't want to go home and like, or, you know, go home in a casket basically. And, and like, they're subjected to this. Like, so I, I don't feel like defunding the police is the, is the problem, but I feel like we should maybe, invest more into the police and what i mean by that is invest more into their i should say somewhat into training because honestly i don't feel like you can train for what they endure but it's also like hey like we're gonna pay you in a manner that we expect you to act and and control yourself which i think for the most part cops do anyway like, that's my opinion. Like, I feel like a lot of things you see in the media are completely false in the way cops are portrayed as if they're just out, uh, you know, hunting unarmed black people. I feel like that's a completely false narrative. And I don't feel like there's any facts to back it up. I think most police officers aren't. But I think even if there's one or two that are, mm. that's not good. It's not good. Yeah. And the good. media is grabbing onto that. I will agree 100%. with you. They're grabbing onto that and they're portraying. Because. The, dude, the media sucks. The well, think, media is think terrible. About um, so I, I had a discussion the other day, and it was a super good discussion. And we were talking about just the way, like, uh, you know, policing goes down. And one thing he brought up is, like, when a cop first gets hired in, like, say, here on Louisville, where do you think they go? I have no idea. I think they they would go to, like, training. Like, uh, like, well, well, like obviously, they go to training. But when they come back from the academy, like, where, where do you think that, well, like, what part of town do you think they start If it's anything in? like teaching... It's like the hardest, most not wanting to be in those situations. Yeah, the, the non-wanted job. Nobody wants those jobs. Yeah. So you're you're exactly right. I imagine it's true. Yeah. So like automatically they get thrown into you know high crime areas, parts of town that people don't want to be in, and I feel like we're training our cops immediately as soon as they get out of the academy to kind of develop a certain perception of pe of people. Yeah, of people. And I think yeah. that's a definitely 
that's definitely a problem. I think it's I think it's admirable that you're willing to sit up here and say I'm an advocate of police officers, but then also say this is a problem that I definitely see in the way yeah, that we organize policing and we should change it. Yeah, so like a lot of people think that I'm just like, you know, pro police and that's it and I don't care about, you know, the left or, you know, whatever the left's ideas are of BLM or Black Lives Don't Matter and that's not true. It's not true at all. Yeah. And uh, so what I think is like, yeah, I feel like the police could change a little bit. I feel like they could. And the reason I say that is because like, let's, if, if you dissect into it, like, you know, the first thing they do is they take our guys straight out of the academy and, you know, like they got a fresh badge on, you know, very, you know, pretty polished is, you know, doesn't have a lot of stain on it yet or, or scratch marks, whatever. And and we throw them into the high crime areas. You know, maybe there's a lot like a high violence there, or a lot of drug Probably traffic, low income, low income, challenging you know, socioeconomic yeah, what, status. Exactly. Yeah. So they get thrown down in all these areas and and the more tenured cops getting closer to retire, probably sitting out in the East End, you know, somewhere in Simpsonville or, you know, the East End of Louisville and, and you know, predominantly white neighborhood of doctors and lawyers and so forth. And there's probably not much crime going on. There's probably not a lot of phone calls. So you you, you see what I'm saying? But like, I can understand why they do it because it's like, you know, you have all these this young, fresh blood. They need to get the experience and all of our old guys getting ready to retire. They probably can't chase down, you know criminals like they used to yeah the same thing happens in teaching yeah, you get so, all the best teachers at the best schools where right. the kids were and like and then the kids who guys who've been teaching like me for two years we end up right. in like the most yeah. challenging environments where like there's no opportunity for us to really yeah. have success 100 percent. and so I, I do i definitely agree that that's really challenging mm-hmm. a thing that are, you want to go deep with me for a second yeah let's go okay so i don't think that any of that is an accident Mm-hmm. I genuinely think that if you go to the top of the ladder, mm-hmm. that almost all of our pot- politicians are bought and sold by like these extremely the wealthy elitist. corporations, these extremely wealthy corporations. 100%. That, and they're telling them what they want. Yeah. Well, and, think about this. Like uh, one, like where I started getting my suspects that a lot of politicians are completely like bought out and so forth or they're buying into is – one thing that ticked me off and and it's not because I'm like, you know, because I'm more right wing and I'm picking on the left, not at all, but it, like Joe Biden's son. Yeah. Like the guys like had like an extreme amount of criminal activity. He was kicked out of the military for cocaine, mm-hmm. you know, impregnated a stripper and had all these problems and so forth. But now he's like the head elite of a gas company in Ukraine. Yeah. And that same exact kind of thing happens on both sides of the it aisle. Does. Yeah, it does. It's crazy how how corrupt like the upper echelon of our government seems to be. Right. And so a big part of what's happening right now, I think personally is that cops like ind- like actual individual police officers, not policing as a whole, which I think we can both agree right. needs reformation, but individual mm-hmm. police officers, there are some bad ones. You can't deny it. Right. Some people are bad. People right. are cops. So some cops are going to end up being bad. So but I think a, they're being, I think police officers are being used as a scapegoat. They're the be. easiest people to throw under the bus right now. They'll take, yeah, they'll take the heat. So, uh, but if you look at uh, like the actual like statistics, like, you know, if you're saying like, hey, this was an unarmed you know, black man shot by a police officer in an unjust way, like it shouldn't have happened, blah, 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 blah. If we really take like the, I guess the rate of how many times that happens, like per police, police, police stop, I feel like it's. Like super minute. Now, what I'm saying is, is that like, it, yes, it shouldn't have happened, but you know, cause we expect perfection, but it's also like goes back to like, what are we doing to pay our cops 
How are we treating our cops? Like, what's our standards of being a cop? It's just like being a pilot. Like, nobody wants a, a pilot, bad pilot, right? And, like, nobody would know that more than probably, you know, somebody being in the aviation field like me is that you don't want a bad pilot, you know, because it can be detrimental, you know? Like, imagine going down an airplane. Like, you're talking to people that fly regularly, you know, and that could be thousands of hours in our in their lifetime like can you imagine being in a plane and you know i feel like there was a one guy that just retired chief my chief just retired and i think he had um he literally spent one year of his entire life in an airplane can you imagine wow one year that's how much time he flew that's over his military career one year of his entire life off of the ground and there that's pretty wild so can you imagine how many people he's you know pilots he's ran through and and i'm sure he's met a lot of bad pilots which Mm -hmm. we that comes through. I imagine it does. Yeah, I mean, I like it does. And the thing is, is there's a lot of unsaid things that happen in the military in, in regards to air crew, like you know, air crew mishaps, plane crashes that happen that a lot of people don't even know about, but they happen. So, what I'm going to tell you is, is that even though, like, yes, we have a huge, massive police force where we have hundreds of thousands of police officers out there, there's going to be a few bad apples. Just like there is an air crew where we're going to have a few bad apple pilots that are going to crash airplanes. 90% of airplane accidents happen because of pilot, uh, pilot error. Yeah. You know, like it wasn't the airplane. It was actually pilot error. Or an emergency occurred where maybe they lost an engine, but the, the pilot could have mitigated that through his emergency procedures, but didn't do it and follow through correctly. So you let me, let me, I, I agree with you, but let me challenge you in just a small way. Yeah, go ahead. So let me think of it like, let me try to put this into perspective. So like, I definitely agree that if if there probably are bad there definitely are bad apples in police forces all 100%. across the country but there I also agree that there's they're probably very low in the minimum. Right. What I think though I do definitely think that might also be happening. Mm-hmm. Um is that good cops mm-hmm. are behaving in a way maybe by choice or, but also maybe by design in yep. terms of like the way these police forces are working that are that are designed to um, design in such a way that they end up, whether it be on purpose or by accident, developing a perception of a certain group of people. Yes, and 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 yeah. and policing unfairly a certain group mm-hmm. of people. I right. think that happens. So, do you remember when I told you when these fresh cops come out of the academy and the first thing they get thrown into is what? Yeah, like the hardest areas. The hardest areas. So. You know, if you have a cop that comes fresh out of the academy and all he does is pull over like, you know, Impalas with rims and mm-hmm. he arrests these young black kids with, you know, constant illegal guns, illegal firearms, with drugs after drugs, disrespect after disrespect and so forth. Like, what what do you think is going to happen to his mind? Like, we, we condition these cops to develop a certain persona of a group of people. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think two things have to happen simultaneously, and I think you'll agree with both of them. One, we have to elevate policing to a level where it has the respect that I think that the position does actually deserve right. in all communities. Right. But then we also have a community of people that you, um, I think, accurately described as being like, or I guess, areas of town that that are higher in crime. Mm-hmm. And on average, I would say, just based on like my understanding, mm-hmm. that um, that crime rate increase is almost not 100 percent but highly associated with lower socioeconomic status these people are poorer Mm -hmm. 
And it also seems to be true mm-hmm. that because of a lot of systems that have been put in place in our country for a very long time, right. black people and people of color are more likely to be poor. Yeah. And we got to f- do something about that. We got to figure something out just to help poor people in general. So here's like my take on it. I had a like a super sweet conversation with the, uh, a guy at work. His name's Chris. He's a super cool guy. And he, again, you know, he's a mixed guy. So he, he kind of like fits in the middle where he's like, you know, I'm black, but I'm also like understand the white, the white, uh, I guess, culture, uh, so to speak. Like he, he's like, he's like, he's in, the, he's in the middle. So I call him the Oracle, but he's a super cool dude because, you know, um, he just, he just like is so intelligent and stuff like that. And he's even opened my mind up to a lot of things that, you know, maybe I didn't see before. And, and, but he doesn't like, again, like we go back to, you know, being respectful and being friends and, and not denying people humanity because of a different point of view, but instead he like listens to me and, and I listen to him and we, you know, meet in a common ground and we can change each other's mind and like, you know, enlighten each other. Yeah. And that's the cool thing about having difference of opinions is that we can, we, we can basically disagree on something, but come to a a conclusion and and it's really weird. And what I mean by conclusion is like, you know, even though we disagree, we can come to the conclusion that we disagree, but we're also going to still be friends no matter what and have each other's back. So, um, he enlightened me on just kind of, um, the history of like the black history and, and so forth, the black culture and, uh, which was really cool. And I, and I found it, you know, a lot of things that I didn't think about and understand. And, uh, we can get into some of those points, like as they, as they come, you know, come back to my mind, but, um, he, he, he basically shared the both sides. Cause he was like, you know, I see, I see both. I see both. I see the white culture and I see the black culture. And I can, I can understand like why white people are so upset that the black people are protesting and rioting and, you know, BLM, how that developed and so forth. I, w- I wouldn't say black people cause there's a lot of white people out there rioting, you know, protesting too. And, uh, but he's like, I see, I see the point of both. And he said, the, and he said, I'm scared. And I said, you know, Chris, why are you scared, man? And he's like, because I'm scared that they they won't be able to find a common ground. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is scary. And a lot of the really smart people that I listen to talk who are very thoughtful, um, they realize that a lot of the people who are being loud Mm -hmm. on both sides of the aisle also tend to be a, a tad bit ignorant. Yeah. I mean that in the truest right. way. They just they are they're not aware of information right. that would that would potentially change their mind yeah. a little bit. So like my thing is is like you know obviously you see what I post online and so forth. Like you know it's a lot of times it's right wing and so forth. Like Ben Shapiro or you know Candace Owens and so forth. You know, but I, I relate to these people. I relate to their ideas. I relate to you know who they are as people, their experiences and so forth. But it doesn't mean I'm gonna like I completely deny the humanity of another person with a different opinion. That's not what I do. Right. You know, um, I'm very much so like willing to you know give you my time and my efforts. And I'm I would say like I'm one of those guys that I don't sleep. I don't. Yeah. I don't. Well, I work swing shifts, so I don't sleep. Like my sleep schedule is very weird and odd. Has that always been true? Uh, when, when I started working my civilian job and being an air crew, cause it's like, you know, we don't, we don't operate always in the daytime, you know, eight to four or whatever. No, like sometimes I'm flying till midnight. Sometimes I'm flying through the night. Sometimes I'm working through the night at my civilian job. Sometimes I'm working through the day at my civilian job. It always changes. So I never sleep and I'm constantly doing something. 
like I'm, I'm always doing something. So I have time to think about, um, all these things and, and, and I'm a, I'm a go doer. Like I'm one of those, like, what's that one guy, uh, Mark Wahlberg when he's like, I'm a doer, yeah. you know, I'm that guy, like 100% that guy. Like I, I don't sleep. I'm always ready to take on a new challenge, do something, you know, crazy or different. And that's probably why I'm here right now is because, you know, who would have thought like Ethan Henry showing up at your studio in your house. I was super stoked when you decided <laughs> to do it. I was so excited. Uh, well, you got a man of mystery in your house. Like, exactly. Mr. Haywood. Yeah. He's in your house. You and, know, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, well, it's just, it's interesting that you bring that up because like I always just assumed, and I guess I think that's what you said was, um, one, you're trying to relate and interact on social media mm-hmm. in a way that you have more control over. Yeah. I just assumed it was that you wanted to be secretive, but apparently that's not the case. Well, like I said, it, it, it depends on who I'm talking to. And the reason I, I, I'm kind of secretive on social media and where I'm at and so forth, because I don't want people to misconstrue me or like judge me outright before they get to know me. So the thing is, is like everybody knows me online as Haywood, right? Do you think of that as a character? No. No. It, it was kind of a funny thing. Like Haywood developed in load school when I was going through load master school in Little Rock, uh, Arkansas. Um, it developed there because there was a, like, you know, on our flight suits, we have, you know, name tapes with our, you know, rank and so forth. And there was a, a, uh, a, uh, name tag on the wall. Like, you know, they put all these name tags up of every loadmaster that's ever graduated from Little Rock Air Force Base, you know, whatever went through the school. Like every, they have like a huge wall that's got everybody's name on it. That, that, cause it's a, a super long school and it's a tough school. Like, it, it's extremely tough to be air crew. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, it has a huge washout rate. Not everybody can be air crew. And on top of that, too, like, it's super, I, I would say it's almost closed door. And the reason I say that is because it's kind of like when you fly, there's such an importance on the atmosphere of who these people are that you're flying with. And I, the reason I say that is because, like, would you want to get into an airplane of a guy that, you know, maybe you don't agree with or you just constantly just don't mesh with? Right. You see what I'm saying? And then also, like. That's going to jeopardize your life. Yeah. And also integrity. Like, you don't want to get on an airplane with right. a guy who's, like, not checking his boxes because yeah. eventually shit could go wrong. Yeah. Like, or, you know, somebody who's just lazy at going over their checklist. You know what I'm saying? Like, so as soon as you get in the air and the guy's like, you know, I really didn't go over my checklist. Or, you know, I want you to do something, but you don't mesh with that person. They're like, no, I'm not doing it because I have like something, you know, in my heart that says I hate you. So that's what I mean by closed door. It's like a closed door society that like, hey, we specifically want this type of person, personality, people with these types. You know, I wouldn't say points of view, like we're, we're not like a segregated group, but we we like to have very people of high integrity that mesh well in the group. Because because like I said, you don't want to fly with somebody that would endanger your life, if that if that makes sense. Because if, if you're going to be flying thousands of hours over your lifetime, you know, say you're spending an entire year in the air. The last thing you want to do is get on the plane with somebody who you may not mesh with exactly or you or you see that may have some issues so how many different places have you been 
because <laughs> of of this this like flight career. Probably not as many as I as I want to go, but like yeah, I've you know been overseas and so forth, and we'll be returning and um, hurricane relief missions down the in the uh, you know the Gulf and so forth, like a lot of places. So did, did you go up north during like Sandy and all that stuff? No, didn't no, do that. Like no. talking about like Sandy as in like New York, like Hurricane Sandy that was no, up there. I didn't, like, I didn't do that no, one. That's interesting. But like one of the big things the Kentucky Air National Guard do it does is that they are like a super huge part of hurricane relief. So you like you remember back when was the last hurricane that was like a huge problem and everybody was like trashing Trump about you know hurricane relief and all that stuff. I don't remember the name of the hurricane. You, you know what I'm talking I know what about? You're talking though. about though, yeah. Uh, but like that, we were down there like specifically doing yeah. stuff. You know what I'm saying? So like I like I know like the inside things of like of that mm-hmm. like you know it's like well that's what we do yeah you know? like we were down there yeah we, we had, give relief to people when right. stuff like that happens one hundred percent that's another problem that I have that I I genuinely have with like politics mm. is that I know how I feel based on my experiences that I've had right but I don't really follow politics <laughs> like for <laughs> real so like so it's kind of something you were talking about earlier you talk about how like you're able to find common ground with people that you disagree with. Right. Something that I genuinely think is true mm-hmm. is that all disagreements that, that you and I or any other person might have yeah. can be boiled down to valuing different things at a different level. Yeah. We might even hold the same values. You just value one thing a little bit more than me. That's probably true. And it's, it's chalked up to the mm-hmm. experiences that we've had. And so you didn't control your experiences. I didn't control my experiences. No. So I'm not going to hold that against you. But um, my experience have led me to be a little bit more progressive in my thought points. It's probably had a lot to do with the places I've worked. I was Starbucks for like eight years. Yeah, then it's I was a super a, progressive. Yeah. Then I was a teacher style. for like yeah, super progressive. five years. Yeah. Right. Um, and, uh, and but also like experiences that I had, especially in teaching, yeah, led me to think those things. Like, did you? Uh, you said you started football in like early on in life, or later on in life? Yeah, sophomore me. year. Sophomore, sophomore year. year. So like when I started, um, you know, I was constantly beat in my mind that nobody feels sorry for you. Nobody's gonna feel sorry for you. Like, there's no woe is me. There's none of that. Like the outcome that you want is going to be on you in life. And, and that's superly like played out in my life today. Like if you, if you, like if you got a recipe of shitty biscuits and you're constantly eating shitty biscuits, maybe a good idea is change the recipe. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's, that's like a, 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 a like a value I hold on to. Like if you don't like where you're at in life, if you don't like the way things are, change the recipe. Yeah. And, you know, that is something that I don't think I realized until I was in like my early to Mm -hmm. mid 20s. Yeah. And so think about how much that sucks. (laughs) (laughs) But and and even now, like in my early 30s, like I've slowly started to internalize it. But it's not something that's been a part of my life since the very beginning, which is why I'm chubby. I mean, like that's that's a part of it. I mean, for real, like no joke. It seriously is a part of the reason why, because like now I'm not ignorant to what it takes to be fit. Mm. I just don't necessarily have the discipline to do the things that I yeah. need to be doing to be so, fit. So you remember like me saying like, you know, sports early in life can really dictate like how you grow up. 
Like it, it can really change your perspective on how you do things and so forth. And my thing is, is like, you know, if you see somebody successful, like if you see somebody successful at something and you want to do it, ask them, like, how did you do this? How, how did you get here? Like if I go back to Justin, Met, Justin Metcalf, like on the hunting thing, like all he had to do was ask me. And he mm-hmm. asked me via Facebook, mm-hmm. like he didn't have my number. He didn't have anything like that. He just knew what I did and he saw some of my posts and so forth. And he was like, you know, I'd like to hunt. And I was like, dude, you asked the right guy. And like, usually guys like me will open their arms up and say, Hey, you know what? I want to share my experience of what I felt with you because mm-hmm. it's freaking awesome. You know? And that's the way I feel about life is, is that nothing in this life is mine. I'm here to share it, but I'm also here to care for it Mm -hmm. if that makes sense like like yeah like my house is mine i will always open it up to strangers and people that ask me to you know want to hang out do whatever show them something different but i also will hold extreme care to it Mm -hmm. like i'll take care of it if that makes sense yeah it does and so that's actually a really great transition because you were talking about like how justin had seen some of your videos and stuff like that so what is going on with that Cause I know you're like doing some stuff with it's yeah. death row waterfowl company, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. And you've been making some YouTube videos and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. What's going on there? Talk, tell people. So, about uh, I've been talking about this like my entire life. Like I swear I was just like, you know, I just need to get into this YouTube thing and like sharing my experiences with the world. Cause I feel like people don't understand unless they're like, can see it, like see how awesome it is. So actually death row waterfowl company was actually started by a name, a guy named Bryce. And, uh, last year I had just got into duck hunting. So duck hunting is not a really, really big thing in Kentucky, unless you're in like Western Kentucky where like, you know, you get some flatter land and swamps and so forth, you know, where it connects to like Missouri and all that. So, uh, it's not a really big thing up here, but what we do have is like really big deer hunting and turkey hunting. Like it's some of the best in the world. Or in the United States, I should say, of deer hunting. Like, Kentucky's been rated, like, number one several times with, you know, the production of big deer. And the reason for that is because of the development of agriculture and so forth around Kentucky. Like, we went from, like, a tobacco state to a soybean and corn farm, you know, type style. And then people started getting all this knowledge of how to, you know, increase the their, or manage their properties in a, in a way that produces potential in their deer herds and turkey herds and so forth. And, and, uh, and yeah, like, so it, it just kind of grew, you know, as the hunting knowledge gained and so forth and project managers on their land, they, they started doing all these new things to, um, I guess, increase the potential of hunting and managing their land. Cause like I said, go back to it like a lot of people we don't hunt just because we're like some type of barbaric human that we want to kill stuff i mean yeah we do (laughs) like some do but uh most people just want to see like a a good healthy herd of deer you know rain in their land and reach their full potential just like we would on humans you like you know we want to see people reach their potential yeah and then you ethically harvest them and they use that to sustain your life and it's like it's like a symbiotic relationship exactly so it's like we we want a deer to reach their potential and then we take out the ones like the following or take out the ones that we want for the following year so that new potentials can come in their spot because eventually like everything reaches its peak and that's where we are 
So, uh, yeah, I got into duck hunting and Bryce, this guy named Bryce, kind of like introduced me to it, like took me duck hunting and, and I started getting into it and I was like, holy crap. Like I just opened up a can of worms of a whole new style <laughs> of hunting. It's like golf with guns. Yeah. Like golf, like duck hunting is. It's literally like like guys who love golf. Like I swear you would love duck hunting. And the I reason love I to play golf, then you would probably love because <laughs> it's like you can get out there with the guys and like you can bullshit and in the, in the blind and like hang out and kick it. The social and, aspect uh, would be my favorite part well, of it. Yeah, dude. Like we can sit there and talk the whole time, and it's like, well, hang on, bro. We got a you know flock of ducks coming in. <laughs> Let's you know get on the calls. We're hammering them in, and they come flying in, and you just get out of the shotguns, boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. You know, unload, and you got a flock of ducks laying on the ground. And it's like, all right. Let's get back to talking, like you know. Mm-hmm. I enjoy eating ducks. Also, they're delicious. Dude, if you cook them right, they're yeah. awesome. Like I had uh, one recipe I've always done was a wine braised. I think it's what it's called, braised duck. Is yeah, that what it's called where you like you sear the duck and then you you like slow slow cook it in wine. Yeah, yeah, dude, it was amazing. That sounds delicious. And I would eat it with like some type of fruit preserves. Oh yeah, yeah, like fruit preserves and duck. Go hand in hand. So one of the things you talked about is how like you maintain your property. Yeah. And uh, and I want to keep talking about like the you know like the YouTube videos and stuff like that. Um, but I think this kind of connects because your social media, your Instagram is beautiful. Yeah. It's very clearly highly curated and it's lovely. Yeah. So do you, what do you just have? You have a piece of property, obviously, and you're like growing flowers and stuff like that, right? Yeah. So I have. Uh... I have roughly five acres. Okay. Out in Shelby County, right next to a beautiful horse farm. Oh, really? And I literally saved every penny I could when I joined the military. Like, literally saved every penny I could to put a down payment on that property. And it's nothing special. (laughs) Like, my house is nothing special. Yeah. Like, but it sits on five acres and probably the most beautiful part of Shelby County. Yeah. Like, I got beautiful sunsets. I got beautiful sunrises. I have horses that, like, are in the, you know, my in my back lot. I have a barn. Like, it's just, like, the ideal country home. But yet, I'm, like, literally a quarter mile away from anything I need in the city of Shelby County. So, it, it was, like, a, a dream come true. Like, and the reason, and what had happened was, is um, the guy that sold it to me, I actually befriended. He was a uh, a guy in the military, and it was his second home. He just kind of used it as he was like transferring like bases, you know, when he because he was in the Kentucky Air National Guard, but he was also like had other things going on, and he was working in different places. And that was his second home, so he had purchased it a long time ago, you know, for a cheap price and so forth. Before like you know the East End became a big deal, and he was like, you know what, man? He's like, if I ever sell my house. I know you're looking for a house and, and property kind of out in that direction. He's like, if I ever sell my house, that's going to be to you if you want it. And I said, okay. So I've been looking for houses out in Shelby County and everything was getting sold out underneath me. Everything. Like I went out to Shelby County and I probably put offers in on, you know, five or six houses. And all these houses were getting like outbid. You know, I was getting outbid. It's a popular basically. area of town. Super man. popular. Like, I mean, like, there's no problem to see a quarter of an acre with a, you know, 12, 1300 square foot house go for $200,000. It'd be no problem to see that right now. 
and uh, everything was getting sold out for me. And I was like, man, I just don't see myself like pay, like overpaying for these houses on just a little bitty eighth of an acre lot. And I, I got so frustrated that I was like, you know, I just can't get what I want. And, uh, finally my buddy hit me back and he was like, Hey man, it's time to sell. Like literally while, like I was looking for a house and got frustrated that I couldn't buy a house in Shelby County. And he was like, Hey man, like he said, you know, I offered you first. I'm going to hold to my word that if you want my house and my land, you can have it. But, you know, for this price. And I was like, you know, all right, let me come out and look at it. And finally, I, I came in. I said, all right, I'll agree to your price. And he was like, good, because I want you to have it. He's like, I know you'll take great care of it. And he's like, I want you to have it because I love this place. He's like, the only reason I got to sell it is because I have to. And I was like, okay. And, uh, so, you know, I landed the house and first thing I started doing, you know, I started updating it and doing all these things and planting all these crazy plants and flowers, roses, whatever you can think of. Like I have sunflower fields, soybeans, you know, for my deer, I have deer and turkey in my backyard. So, I mean, it, it just kind of worked out. Like I, I wouldn't say anything's my, my house isn't anything special. It's probably much like your house, mm-hmm. but it just sits on five acres. That's awesome. Yeah. It's like, a sanctuary. Yeah. It really is. That's amazing. So I decided, I was like, you know, I'm going to do what basically God intended, you know, people to do is be fruitful. Yeah. And, you know, make things look better than what they are. Yeah. And so I kind of took that idea and ran with it. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to make this look better. How can I make it look better? How can I improve it? And I feel like a lot of things that I can do is like, like I said, not had an appreciation for the outdoors. So it was like the best thing to do to improve the aesthetics of the house was to cultivate it. Did you know that it was going to be, I mean, like your, your Instagram, I think will help you with the YouTube videos. And I think you should try to utilize that because it's nicely cultivated. It's, uh, it's, it's beautiful to look at. Yeah. And so people will appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And so that connection is going to think, I think benefit you with that. Did you realize that was going to be useful or honestly? No. Yeah. Like, uh, so like when I bought the house, I didn't realize the sunsets. Yeah. We're going to be super beautiful. Yeah. I didn't realize the horses, like, you know, me going out and feeding the horses, you know, apples and carrots and all that fun jazz was going to be something cool. You know, like I, I didn't think about those things when I bought the house. I was like, you know what? I just been so frustrated with buying houses that I finally got a decent offer on buying this guy's house on five acres. And and he's got some deer and turkey in his backyard, you know, hit or miss. And I was like, you know, I'll just, I'm just going to buy it because I just feel like it's what I'm going to do right now. So I bought it and it turned out to be the best thing I ever did. And I mean, it's not like he gave it to me at like some crazy, awesome price or anything like that. I mean, obviously like, you know, I had to buy it for pretty much what he had into it. And, uh, what saved me was, is that I actually developed a relationship with this guy and, uh, we became friends, even though he's like super much older than me. Like, you know, he's like my dad's age, you know, kind of thing. And, uh, we just befriended because we worked together and we flew together. But, uh, that's how I landed the house. And he's like, I know he, and the reason he wanted to sell it to me and me specifically there, he had higher offers on the house, but the reason he wanted me to have it is because he knew that I would value it and take care of it. Mm-hmm. That's all awesome. that makes sense. And you have, cause it's beautiful, man. Yeah. I appreciate it. It's beautiful. 
Um, and now you're doing, are you using your property to make these videos that you've been making for YouTube? Um, not always, but most of the time, yes. Yeah, it makes sense that you would. It's convenient. Yeah, it really is. Like, you know, I, I'm, like I said, I'm a half a mile from being in the city of yeah. Shelby County, but I can shoot guns in my backyard. Nice. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's like, I don't have to go anywhere to do anything. Like yeah. I can hunt in my backyard. I can shoot guns in my backyard. I can, you know, grow all these crazy flowers and roses that, you know, people have never seen before, which I honestly like plan on maybe starting a business on the side where I'm like cloning these flowers yeah. and so forth. Like the roses, especially because people love my roses. Um, cloning these roses and actually, I would, I would say more like selling them at a super cheap price, mm -hmm. like a special price for, you know, just my community because I want people to That's experience cool. and share like, you know, what I'm seeing and what I, you know, like I paid high price for a lot of these roses. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, you're talking 50 bucks yeah. for a rose plant that's six inches tall. Yeah. You know, like yeah. we're talking like barely doing anything. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, yeah, like I, I just want people to, you know, maybe less fortunate than I am to just to have a cool experience. That's really cool. And so what do you think the future of these YouTube videos are? Do you think there's a future there? You enjoy in making them? Uh, I do enjoy making them. I do. Because like I find myself like I'm constantly on YouTube looking at things that I value which are hunting. Like, how can I be a better hunter? You know, what's the latest gun review on the newest shotgun, you know, et cetera. Is it going to make me a better hunter? I don't know. Probably not. At least I look cool. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know how it goes. And, uh, so like, yeah, I just try to, uh, figure out, you know, what do people like? What do people want? So I wouldn't say I'm some crazy, like YouTube, you know, productionist or anything like that, but I'm, I'm kind of dabbling in it. Yeah. What are you doing it? Yeah. And I, and I feel like my videos are pretty good. Like, yeah. I mean, but you have to be kind of into the thing of like hunting and fishing guns and, and so forth. Otherwise you probably won't like it at all. Yeah. Well, I've watched a couple of them and I'm interested in, I'm interested in just the production of it. That's really what interests me more. Dude, than I just use else. iMovie, man. Yeah. It's like the standard iMovie app that comes on your iPhone or your, you know, MacBook Pro. Yeah. I'll show <laughs> you some stuff. I'll show you some stuff after this that I think you will probably appreciate. What are you going to like be my productionist? I can show you some things. Do you want to get paid? I, yeah. <laughs> I can, I can help with some of that stuff. I mean, if you can, if you can literally like take some, like the, the one thing is, is, is like I developed a, a super awesome logo for the Death Row Waterfowl mm -hmm. Co. And it's like a brand new logo, but I don't know how to upload the logo to YouTube or mm -hmm. iMovie. And I'm just like, how do you do this? Mm -hmm. And those are the things I got to find out. I can help you with those things. Uh, it's it's just a hobby. I enjoy sound production. I enjoy yeah. video production. Uh, it's fun. And that's how the podcast came to be. Well, what do you what do you think about this? So you were talking about earlier about, uh, you know, maybe trying out hunting, doing something crazy like that. Yeah. What if you, you know, train me in how to use certain aspects and like iMovie or uploading logos and so forth into my videos or, you know, whatever, you know, like just training me how to do that. And I'll exchange you like an awesome, maybe first experience. hunting. I would, I would love that. I would I would show you for free, but I would love that experience. So I think that'd well, be awesome. Well, you remember how we go back to like you know a lot of things is like you know you may have a different opinion than a lot of people, or you know maybe sitting on different sides of things. Mm -hmm. But you know what? If you're friendly and you reach a commonality, like you can get a lot accomplished. Yeah, yeah. You know, and there's something about community that is so ingrained in I think everybody. 
And as weird as it sounds, and I don't know if it's just, I, I honestly, I don't know 100% what it is, but there's something about the PRP community, uh, that group of people that were there when I was there, yeah. that I just feel really a strong kinship with. Oh, yeah. And I went back there. I actually taught there for two years. Mm -hmm. And that was a really cool experience for me because I got to work. So you taught at PRP? At PRP for two years. So Jason Stinson was like my boss. Oh, man. Um, I saw it and like Tracy Vines was still there. And it it was cool. It was a really great experience. And then um, after a couple of years there, I ended up at DOS for two years. How'd you like that? I liked DOS a lot. The culture was night and day. Totally different. Like the culture of PRP and the culture of DOS? Yes. Yeah. Why was that? Um, so PRP had a much stronger community of people involved and yeah. not everybody is a part of that community mm-hmm. there, but the community exists there and it is strong and right. it's thriving. And yeah. It, it's around baseball. It's around, it's around sports. There's a strong well, of course, sports community. PRP has the history of baseball. You yeah. Know? And it's, and, and also though, it's just around family. There's a lot of family, yeah. like teachers are related there. A lot of people yeah. are related to one another. And it's just that strong community. We, from what I like, even remember when we went to high school, a lot of the teachers were students there. Yeah. That's it. Like, that you was, know what I'm saying? Like, so it's like a reoccurring thing. Like you graduate from PRP, you go back to teach to yeah. PRP. And that was a thing that was definitely true about yeah. when I was there. It's just, and that does not exist at DOS. Mm-hmm. There are challenges there that I think lead to people, uh, high turnover. Yeah. And then I think also just, the community that DOS served had more challenges. Right. Um, and so you just didn't get to build that positive culture. Right. And it was just, it was an interesting place. And it was, but I really value the lessons I learned while I was 100%. there. I really value the lessons that I learned there and the relationships that I built while I was there. Right. Really cool, smart people who really care about trying to make uh, these young people, trying to help these young people find opportunity that they wouldn't otherwise have. Right. And it's really, really cool. Cool. Yeah. Um, so I would, I would be all about trying to help you learn some things. I'll show you some stuff today. Just a yeah. few little things that I've got like sitting around that might help you out. Um, but I mean, we've been going now for two hours and 12 minutes. So, I mean, we got a pretty solid podcast right now. <laughs> well, there's a lot to talk about. I feel like there's still a lot to unravel. Oh, of course. You know, so let's, let's wrap this up, dude, man. I really... I'm so glad that you came and did this. I've, I think it's awesome that I got to have your perspective on the show. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's it's important. I said this to you. I think in a text message. It's important to me to talk to people that I agree with, but it's even more important to me to talk to people that maybe I don't necessarily. And I think we ended with. up finding out that we agree well, on more on, stuff on than more stuff we, than we disagree. Yeah, one hundred percent. But it's so important, kind of like you were saying earlier with like. Iron sharpens iron. You have to, you have to um, challenge. You have to have people around you who are going to challenge what you think, so that way you can exactly. understand. Have you actually thought about what you think enough to where it is your ideal and not something that's been put in your head? Mm-hmm. And also, is there value in this other person's perspective? Yep, exactly. I am super glad that you were willing to come on here but before we quit tell people about your youtube page let people know what's going on (laughs) so my youtube page is death row waterfowl co 
So if you want to look at us, look us up and check out the content that we have, I will admit that it is a lot of hunting content. It will be a lot of hunting, fishing, uh, gun reviews and so forth. And everyday life of like, you know, living in the shoes of, Hey, would you leave mm. or AKA Ethan Henry? Um, you know, please like, and subscribe. Absolutely. Guys. If you are interested in that stuff, check it out. Ethan Haywood, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it, brother. (laughs) Hey, thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely, man. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there's another podcast in the books. And it was such a pleasure to make. I really appreciate Ethan coming out and taking the time to create something awesome with me. Guys, make sure you're checking out his stuff. Check out his Instagram page at Hey Would You Leave. Get it? Hey Would You Leave. But it's spelled H-A-Y-W-O-O-D space J-A-L-E-A-V-E. His Instagram page is beautiful. Check out Death Row Waterfowl Company. Give him a subscribe and a like. If you like guns and you like hunting and you're into stuff like that, you're going to love these YouTube videos. They're super cool. Guys, I just want to thank everybody out there listening for tuning into the podcast today. If you're listening on iTunes or Apple Podcast, give us a rating and a review. It helps other people around the world find out about the podcast, which is really cool. Same thing for Google Podcast or Spotify or anything like that. If you're listening somewhere, leave us a review, give us a rating. We really appreciate it. Make sure you're checking out the Facebook page, Just Friends Podcast, and the Instagram page, at justfriends.pod, where you can hear sneak peeks and exclusive extras. And also, if you join the Just Friends Podcast group, you get to be a part of a really cool community who interacts with each other. Make sure you're sharing your favorite episodes. And if you're a big fan and you really want to support the show, consider becoming a Patreon patron. Patreon.com forward slash Mitch Makes Podcasts. I officially have six patrons now, which is super cool. We just got a brand new patron, Miss Emily Brown. So shout out to Emily. You're the bomb. We're going to get you on this podcast someday. And then, of course, the rest of my patrons who are also all awesome. Tim Higdon, Ben Risen, David Vandelberg, Emily Berry, and Ryan Ray. You guys are gangsters. I love you all. Thank you all so much. You guys make this podcast what it is, and I appreciate you so much. Everybody else, I love you all too. I hope you have a fantastic week. I can't wait to see you guys again next week. So make sure you tune in for the next installment of Just Friends Podcast with my friend and yours, Miss Kelsey Lee. It's an awesome conversation. Kelsey is a professional musician in the community. She's in like six bands and we talk about all that fun stuff and more. So make sure you check it out. That's it, guys. We're done. I love you all. I hope you have a fantastic week. Take care of yourself and be safe. Bye.